When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, bringing you the truth, no matter how bad it hurts. I look forward to once again, serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. For those new in attendance, I'm so glad you found salvation. You will laugh and you will cry. This will offend you. I hope you enjoy the ride. Joining me tonight, he makes his return by popular demand. Mr. Leo Zagami has returned. You might have seen him and heard him on Infowars, where he is a very popular contributor and published author. Many of his books are considered vital very very vital and of course on the second half of the program we do have another first timer angel millar will be making his debut he will be talking to us about his insight on the occult and freemasonry and yes of course sex magic give the people what they want thank you ladies and gentlemen for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds here we are again on a night like this pumping through your speakers like a poltergeist i am alive again i'm so glad you're here now let's bring in Mr. Leo Zangami. Leo, are you out there? Yes, I am. There you are. What's going on, my friend? Oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, can you hear me loud and clear? Loud and clear. I'm sorry no. about that. No worries. No worries. That so long... we are live? Yeah, we are live and direct right now. And of course, you are out there in Palm Springs, California. And I am out here also in the desert in El Centro, California, not very far from each other. Ah, that's cool. Where about? Oh, El Centro. It's central, central. I've been there. I'm sure you have. It's way out here, right by the border. Mm. That's pretty, pretty close. Pretty close, pretty close. Yeah, uh, but I have, I have not been down that that, that, that far. Right, right. So, Leo, how how the hell have you been, man? Oh, good, oh, good. And uh, of course, thank you for having me on today. I've been uh, promoting my new book, uh, Volume Four, of My Confessions, which is. Uh, Basically, a new release, even if we're going backwards with the release, because, of course, the last time probably I was promoting Volume 6 with you. Yes, you were. But uh, Volume 4 is a brand new book, which has been published as Volume 4, simply because a lot of people always ask me why uh, Volume 4 was never released in the English language. And in the end, we actually decided to uh, create a completely new book, because in reality, my publisher, uh, the other publisher I have, uh, had decided to publish it as Invisible Master, which I think is a book which uh, we probably discussed in the past uh, on your show. And uh, instead, Volume 4 is a completely new book. It's a book uh, called, uh, as a subtitle, American Renaissance 2.0 and uh, a missing link from the invisible world. And it regards uh, the influence of uh, uh, Jesuit uh, spirituality in our society and also the influence in Freemasonry, in, uh, in magic. And, uh, and so it's a rather interesting book, which, of course, also talks about the now, what is happening in American society and where we are heading. Uh, we, we, we might either head in one direction uh, with an American Renaissance 2.0 or we can head in the opposite with a civil war. So it's, it's, it's an interesting book and it's uh, gave me a lot of satisfactions. People are welcoming it also because it had already pointed out on some of the things which of course are now unfolding. 
Uh, definitely. And of course, Leo, as I prepared for this interview, I went back in time and I was watching videos of you going back to about 2015. And I'm just thinking, wow, Leo has made so much progress through uh, since back then, since 2015. And seeing you now, it's kind of it's kind of insane. Well, uh, we, I mean, as you know, I started my exposure work in 2006, so a few years back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess that uh, since 2015, we, uh, we, we, we managed to gain momentum, especially because I published finally my books in the English language and started also, of course, collaborating with InfoWorld. So I guess these two things uh, have uh, uh, made uh, my popularity rise here in uh, the U.S., where I now reside. I reside out of a necessity, which is uh, that uh, my books uh, in Europe and in Italy in particular have created uh, a very dangerous uh, um, environment for me. And uh, the Vatican uh, tried in various ways to uh, dissuade me from uh, publishing these books. But when I actually started publishing them in 2012, I, of course, uh, gradually became uh, unpopular and on, I went on their black books. <laughs> and right. of course, in a country like Italy, which is dominated by by the Vatican uh, in every aspect of society became uh, very, uh, very dangerous. And I started to get uh, involved in lawsuits uh, and defamation. There is a criminal offense punishable with incarceration, which often ends up uh, punishing journalists who are trying simply to do their work. So in the end, uh, I abandoned Italy, I fled Italy with my wife. Uh, we came here to uh, Southern California, which uh, is uh, now my new home and I'm glad to be here and uh, be able also to uh, work um, closely with a lot of my um, American friends and we have also created on a Sunday on my uh, YouTube channel a show, a very particular show called The Pew, right. which also features uh, Roseanne Barr and uh, that has uh, been quite successful. We are working uh, uh, continuously on uh, trying to improve the work that I'm doing uh, on my channel and also, of course, bringing out more books. I'm, uh, I'm uh, working also on that, but at the same time, you have to understand that I'm also going through the very lengthy and delicate process of uh, obtaining a green card and possibly also citizenship in the future. Before I ask you about your citizenship. You have been quite active on your YouTube page. As you mentioned before, you have Roseanne Barr, and that's pretty wild in itself. How did you, how did that come about? I think that uh, my work uh, has been uh, attracting uh, the interest of a lot of uh, important people in the last few years, but most of them have always kept uh, rather secretive about their uh, connection with me. Even uh, uh, in the past, I, you know, I had the possibility to encounter a lot of people in Hollywood. I, of course, uh, went there the first time in 2014 uh, um, because of the work I was doing to research a book on Hollywood and the, the Illuminati or the secret societies in general that permeate the Hollywood establishment. And then I met uh, at that point uh, um, the son of uh, Oliver Stone, Sean Stone, and started a collaboration with him. And uh, then I met many other people, but uh, in recent times, uh, it was actually Roseanne who followed my work and they came up to me and said, well, let's do something together. And I said, that's great. And thanks also to uh, a Jewish friend of mine from, uh, from New York who now lives in Jerusalem. 
we got together this show. So that's, uh, let's say, synthetically what happened. I know that I a lot of people said it's not easy to deal with Razan. Be careful. He's very <laughs> volatile. I, I don't, never have any problems. Uh, I mean, we are both uh, very professional in, our, uh, in, in, our, in, in the work we do together, but uh, we also are very relaxed because there is not really like uh, a sponsor or, or an editor or uh, some kind of of uh, um, media person behind the whole thing. It's really an independently established uh, uh, show uh, which uh, wants to dig deep in matters uh, that regard uh, um, interreligious affairs, but also life seen in both the Christian and the Jewish perspective. So I have representatives from both of these cultures. I also think that uh, with Rosanne, we have found a way to collaborate because we uh, really want people to uh, evolve. We want to give people maybe some uh, something new and at the same time challenging, but always, uh, you know, uh, keeping a smile on our face and yeah. trying to always make it uh, when possible light, even if the topic topics, of course, are, are very delicate because we are treating the messianic times in... Jewish perspective or then times in the more Christian perspective, but altogether we are um, definitely people who have not accepted any compromise. And that's why I am here on this side of the ocean. And then uh, things have, have gone my way in the sense that since I came here into the U.S., I found some wonderful people to really work with. I tend not to go too often to Hollywood or to L.A. because I will be dragged into a reality which is not mine. I tell you the truth. They often tried to do that. Uh, well, I mean, Leo, I have, to, I have to butt in here really quickly. You are at the center of it all, being out there in Palm Springs. That's where all the stars yeah. are. <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. You're right I'm in actually, the place. I'm actually quite uh, lazy, and uh, I have to confess, because in the it's end, okay. Palm Springs is where they all come anyway, so I don't really have to go anywhere. It's a little bit like I don't go to the mountain, the mountain comes to me. That's right. So, so I'm very glad that I'm able to start seeing a change. Uh, in the mindset of people within the Hollywood establishment. You have to understand that uh, I come from that establishment because my grandmother used to work for Fellini and Zeffirelli. Yeah. Um, I was basically involved uh, since a very young age with people from uh, from this kind of environment. Uh, I met Rock Hudson when I was like five years old the first time. I met people like William Barrows, Brian Guy, all kinds of people from the art world, from the acting world. And, uh, and they were all fantastic people, very creative people. But of course, now we are living in, in, in a time in which most of the, 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 the creative collective, let's call it that way, in one way or the other, tends to always be influenced by the, the Democrats, by the left-wing policy uh, politics and so on. So it's interesting now that finally we are trying to reverse this whole trend trying to create people that are a bit more open-minded. So I think that uh, it, it, it is uh, with, uh, with great uh, I mean, honesty for me to tell you, I am trying to experiment something. I'm not sure we're going to manage to fully realize it, but I think that already in a few months here in the U.S., I've been able to do some interesting things. I agree. And just to fin finish up with Roseanne, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't think she would be that interested in some of the fringe topics you cover. But then after, you know, after knowing what went on with her recently, it makes me think she's a lot 
uh, she's a lot much more open-minded than any of us gave absolutely, her credit for. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, right, right. you see here in, 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 in I mean, um, here in Southern California, we have, of course, various, uh, let's say, conservative-minded uh, yeah. uh, people that are opening up uh, to the possibility of, you know, welcoming a different uh, way for California. I'm talking about people, for example, like Anomaly, Flexus, and so on. I think in in my case, I'm bringing also an esoteric aspect to the whole thing, because uh, here I am uh, talking also about the religious aspect, not only the political aspect. And uh, as you know, my studies have always been centered on the Vatican. Uh, but at the same time, I have also been very interested in uh, uh, Judaism. So I wanted to understand more about uh, what was uh, behind uh, Zionism or uh, Sabbatean Frankism, which is actually an heresy which has created many problems within the Jewish religion. So for me, it's about understanding and being able then for other people to understand with me uh, these things. And that's why in my latest book, I dedicated the whole chapter into revealing really the secrets of this Sabbatean Frankist heresy that sprang up uh, within the Jewish uh, uh, faith. And you have to, of course, study many different rabbis, many, but then in the end, you understand that actually there were people that from within sabotaged the Jewish religion and, and, and they aggressively went into 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 practices that of course then uh, put into disrepute the whole uh, the, the whole uh, faith but also the Jewish people and they don't have anything to do with it because it, it, in the end it's, it's a group of her heretics who had hijacked uh, starting with Sabbatai Zevi who officially converted to Islam in 1666 but in reality he never converted because all these people had covertly continued to practice this heretic religion which they are trying to implement and it's really satanic it actually has all the basis of everything like sexual magic and satanism and so I, I wanted to know more about it so I needed to also dialogue more with people of Jewish faith with rabbis and with people who could explain me better what, what had actually happened. I'm very glad that we have created this link and they, and I must say I have understood a lot and I have tried to relay a lot in my latest book because there is uh, things like, uh, for example, Madame Blavatsky, we all know, is the founder of the Theosophical Society. Yeah. But uh, not many people know that he, her master, Max Theon, as they used to call him, himself was linked to the Sabbatean Frankist. And so, and, and to, to what is known as the Brotherhood of Luxor that inspired Madame Blavatsky. Because, uh, and then there was also another secret society within Freemasonry, the Asian Brethren, linked to the Golden Rosicrucians, which are linked to the Jesuits, but the, the Asian Brethren are linked to the Sabbatean Frankist. So then I discovered, thanks to the work of certain academics, the links between the Jesuits and certain deviant currents of Judaism, and at that point, it's clear to me that here there is an attempt to subvert both Christianity with the Jesuits and Judaism with the Sabbatean Frankists, and not only the, these two religions, because they are trying to subvert all the religions in, of the world in creating this one world religion that they are trying to forcefully put on us, you know? Yes. So now the, the, the point is... A lot of people are trying to do interreligious dialogue under this new umbrella that the Jesuits are kind of bringing together, this uh, human brotherhood that they want to put together, which is, of course, 
as links to certain progressive branches of Freemasonry and to the New World Order because it's the One World Religion that eventually they're going to put under the control of the artificial intelligence, uh, the cyber Satan that we have maybe discussed in the past. So for me to discuss um, these topics uh, with people who are prepared, and I must say I'm surprised, Roseanne Barr has also written books that people don't know about that uh, we try also to promote every Sunday during our show. Yeah. And their books that uh, are pretty fascinating. And uh, I must say that in uh, in the work that I conduct with Rosanna, she always points out on some interesting elements, uh, which for me are interesting because they they enrich my studies. So I'm very glad of collaborating. And uh, of course, in the future, we hope that maybe we can get uh, a bigger audience uh, uh, through maybe, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a radio, TV, whatever. In in the meantime, now the Pew is trying to uh, just uh, get rid of the small technical problems because, of course, we are, you know, uh, financed very, by ourselves well, and we are trying yeah. to do it in a very bit. But I must say it that... It takes uh, some time, Leo, you know that. It takes some time, but yeah. already from next week, uh, we have organized with the son of Roseanne, who takes care of her technical side. Uh, we are trying to launch also the Pew on her own YouTube channel, which is another 166,000. Oh, we did have, we lose you? Uh, oh, there you are. And then we have other channels that are offered to carry on the show. There is a particular guy who uh, is involved with us from Israel, who has a lot of followers then in Israel, who is very interested in, in that. It's called Larry Pfeffer, who is uh, one of the members of this Israel office of the Pew that we are trying to set up uh, together with another guy called Dr. Les Glassman, who has himself a very big YouTube channel, um, which approaches uh, now 5 million views, but has a lot of potential and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, very follow. So we're trying to, to, to improve all this in an independent way, of course. So when you go then, like last time we talked, I remember also in private, uh, I told you that maybe I wanted to do something with the radio. No? Yeah. And I think that there is a lot of potential for what we are doing Definitely, here. Yeah for uh, doing something for the radio. The problem is that you have to find the right network and the right people to work at the production and uh, get it together. And at the moment still, you know, maybe people are, are, are learning about us. So we want to just con conduce this uh, first season of The Pew in this independent way. And maybe later on we will uh, get on something bigger. For sure. It's all, it's all about trial and error. You guys are still new and you guys are learning along the way. And there will be some technical hiccups, but you will overcome that. And of course, I will be providing you uh, voiceovers for uh, both shows. Leo. Oh, well, it's uh, always welcome. We don't, uh, you see the problem here also with the technicality of it all, we still have to really have a proper um, desk uh, mixer of the whole show and stuff. But I mean, right, right. It's, it's, uh, we, we, we will build it up this year. It takes a little bit of time uh, because like you said, we have to learn. And a lot of us, uh, I mean, if you have noticed, the Pew is conducted by people who are mostly writers and intellectuals. And it's very, uh, it's very known that people like this at times have some technical, <laughs> you know, <laughs> faults yes. because they're not really always, we are more on the books, they're more on the books than on the technical side of things. But I mean, I'm sure that, like you said, we, we will uh, improve and uh, the rest of the channel is going great. The Leo Zagami show 
uh, specials and stuff a, g- a gathering momentum where we were really um, astonished how, how we have uh, broke some news and really reached a uh, great amount of people in a short time and uh, and this is helping a lot because of course through the donations that people maybe uh, give me voluntarily through the paypal donations and through the books i'm able to finance this very expensive process for me to become american which is not been easy which i'm doing of course legally and that uh, of course takes a lot of patience and in the meantime you can't even work so it's Yes, and not to forget the rest of the cast, which I think is pretty incredible. All of you guys are, and gal, are from all over the globe. And the Yes, so I wanted to put together, you mm-hmm. see, a cast of people who were competent and who were uh, challenging in their own uh, sectors, in their own specialties. Uh, and so I'm very glad. Like I said, there is half of the panel that is, of course, of Jewish origin with Rosambar and Lowell. And then we have also uh, an office with another couple of people that don't appear on the pew, but uh, collaborate with the content always in Israel. And then we have, of course, the Christian side of things uh, with uh, a very unusual priest, uh, openly gay priest. I love that. Not their minister. <laughs> yes. Uh, I thought that would be challenging for one reason. Pretty because, interesting. Uh, no, because, I mean, we have been, you know, people have... Uh, seen Leo Zagami for years yes. bashing people, uh, you know, gay priests because they're hypocrite. And I've always said it. I hate hypocrisy. But if you come out in the open and you say it, then it's a different thing. You know, then I respect you because you have been honest and I appreciate honesty. This guy here has really gone through a lot because of his honesty. I mean, he could have been a bishop of the Anglican Church. He could have been, uh, or any other church, he could have really uh, gone through, you know, the hierarchy if he just uh, shut up about his sexuality. Instead, he's always been honest, always openly gay, but in an honest way. And I appreciate that. So I wanted sure. to give him a chance. Of course, I of course. To, uh, I discussed this show in detail on how, you know, we should blend things together. And uh, he seemed to be definitely the right person and also intellectually very valid because he has uh, written now a book published on, on Swindberg, Swindberg and uh, Swindberg and the Arts, which is uh, Reverend William Perry's latest book. Then we have, of course, then uh, John Barnwell from American Intelligence Media, which is also another side of the of things. And it's... Uh, of course, uh, a website which is very known. People don't know who is behind American intelligence media, but there is some very, very prepared people who are very influential. One of them influenced uh, George Lucas in Star Wars, in the making of Star Wars. So, I mean, we're talking about some very influential people. That is Douglas from American intelligence media, who is an ex-NSA operative from the National Security Agency and also ex-Jesuit. And uh, and so we have uh, collaborators and people very capable, right? Um, and of course, we are not uh, your average folk, and we try to make it uh, the most interesting possible. But we also try to uh, say that this is an experiment, and we are challenging even ourselves in the making of it all. So we don't really know how it's going to work out and if it's going to work out. But in the meantime, we carry on with the grace of God. Uh, <laughs> no that's how we do it <laughs> yes and leo it's a good thing that you aren't uh hateful of the gay community since you are out there in palm springs they would uh yeah. go after you for sure out there 
<laughs> no, I can't be hateful because no, no. I was brought up by my grandmother who used to work for Fellini and Zeffirelli, especially Zeffirelli who was openly gay. And uh, when I was born, there was uh, the assistant of, Z- of Fellini who was also openly gay. <laughs> and uh, my uh, godfather, when I was actually baptized in the Catholic Church, was a very famous uh, gay artist uh, known uh, uh, as uh, the most popular forger in Great Britain. Uh, they actually dedicated even shows uh, on Eric Eborn, who is uh, this guy who forged the biggest artist uh, in the world. And then in the end, uh, he mysteriously died, uh, probably killed uh, in the middle of the 90s. Uh, and so uh, I, I could never be, uh, let's say, hateful towards a community which I know so well. And uh, I mean, uh, thanks to the people of my family, I always had a very open relation. But there is one thing that they know uh, that I'm very critical about certain elements of the community, especially those elements that uh, have, uh, I would say, they have exaggerated and they have also covered for pedophilia. And and those elements need to be exposed. And so I have a very good relationship with the LGBTQ community worldwide. But at the same time, they know that I'm very critical about uh, closing who don't reveal their homosexuality because I think people should be honest. And especially those people who then uh, are, uh, have, uh, for example, the pedophilia problem. I have a guy I know from the times I used to live in Norway, used to come to the Gnostic Church, which I used to be involved with in Norway. And he uh, was so honest, uh, very Norwegian, I must say, probably nobody in the world has done something like this. But as soon as he had some thoughts of pedophilia in his head, he actually went to the police and denounced himself. Wow. This uh, was a case that was very popular in, in Norway, kind of like shocked the Norwegian people. And uh, I became friends with this guy, interviewed him. Uh, I wanted to know more about. Uh, and then he actually helped me because uh, he helped me bait a few pedophiles, which I was investigative in Italian sat- Satanism, like Dimitri, this uh, Italian Satanist who had a satanic. Very <laughs> so he actually helped me later to investigate the, 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 the Satanist link to the pedophilia community. Uh, but the interesting thing was that, I mean, at least I was capable of opening a line of dialogue because of his honesty. You understand? Understood. Yeah, understood. For sure. So, so, so it's a, mm-hmm. for me, it's imp- as a journalist, as an author, as somebody who has been brought up, uh, I have been brought up with certain values, and I um, um, personally am conservative in my values, in my stand, in my politics, but I don't think that sexuality should be part of that. I hear you. Sexuality mm-hmm. is another thing, and I am very glad that you have people like uh, Milo going around and being openly gay and supporting Trump as well as other people. I mean, I've encountered uh, even here in Palm Springs people. I was quite surprised that uh, from oh, the gay community. that big uh, community uh, out there. What's it? I was saying that's a very big community out there. Yeah, and I was quite surprised to find people who actually support Trump uh, within this community, even if, of course, a minority compared to the majority, which we hope right. that one day will uh, open up uh, their senses to the fact that uh, you can't uh, be on the left and endorse the Democratic Party that is the party that endorses Islam that throws gays off the roofs. So, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's just the most demented thing. Plus, you have to put in your head that you can't push the LGBTQ agenda to the kids. The children have to be left out of this whole sexuality. And I agree 
agree with you on that one. It's, it's, it's something that I will never tolerate. And I'm always very honest about it. So people know that I have uh, very much this uh, in me. Uh, I, I am a person who can be very open. Of course, I, br- I was brought up. And then I, I started to work as a DJ. I worked in the music yeah, business. The music business. And, and of course, uh, I know people, uh, sure. gay people, and I have friends in the gay community. I mean, they, 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 they basically are the best. Uh, some of them are the best artists. You have to be honest about it. Um, but some of them have gone to the dark side and have used their even their art in in dark ways. And and I don't support that. I hear you. And Leo, do you do you identify as a Christian or a Catholic? But you see, uh, the, the thing is that uh, Catholics still recognize me as Catholic. I, I was see. never okay. uh, excommunicated, uh, and people like even church militant, uh, who, you know, they're very conservative in their Catholic approach, and uh, they actually consult me all the time. They always keep me in high regard, and they, they all consider me Catholic. So I was not able to get excommunicated. But these days, to tell you the truth, I consider myself a non-denominational Christian because I think that the denomination is a limit imposed uh, by man, and that's uh, have nothing to do with uh, the real uh, uh, moment, uh, which is uh, the meeting uh, of, uh, with God and Jesus Christ, uh, which is something personal that is, uh, you know, a personal matter. So, uh, though I understand that in the past, maybe institution could be important to preserve maybe certain directions in the faith. Now we are at a turning point in history in which we are completely uh, finding ourselves catapulted, kind of thrown into this end time scenario and this messianic era for the Jewish people. And what? You're going to have to limit yourself with a denomination? I'm not part of that. I'm part of something a little bit uh, more uh, higher because I learned a lot from, uh, from uh, people that teach me, first of all, to embrace Jesus before embracing any denomination. I hear you. And Leo, what's your take on the whole craze right now in America? We're seeing a lot of transgenderism in sports going on right now. Lots of lawsuits going on, even in Connecticut. Three female high school athletes out there, along with their family file. Mm-hmm. It's always, the, I think this is a continuation of the topic we just touched. When I said that I don't approve of this aggressive promotion of LGBTQ agenda in, uh, in, in, in outside of whatever was their initial, I mean, uh, I know very well that the gay community suffered persecution. I remember in the early 80s when I came the first time in New York, it was 1982, I was in Central Park West at my grandmother's apartment, and I met there Quentin Crisp, who was this historical figure for the gay community. And uh, uh, together with my grandmother, they actually made in 1990, I think the last film that my grandmother acted in, uh, called An Alien in New York, I think it's called. Um, but uh, the, the thing is that I know that this guy risked arrest numerous times in the 50s and 60s, and he, he was persecuted. So I understand how the gay community felt about persecution, but you have to understand when to limit yourself, otherwise you go the other way, because then you're trying to, you're trying to impose your own agenda, and that's not really the case. Now, you ha- they have one, uh, let's say, the freedom to be, and that's great. So 
I enjoy, you know, their pride and whatever they stand for, but they can't make it a daily event. I mean, here in Palm Springs, they go on for like a month with this uh, gay pride thing. It never ends. Two months. It's like a never ending series of events. Oh, it's 24-7 out there, Leo. Yeah, well, it's aside from that, I'm talking about the event in itself, the the actual public display uh, of, yes. of, of the fact that you have liberated yourself. I understand right, right. it's important, but uh, it's like uh, American independence. American independence is, is important, but we celebrate it only one day a year, the 4th of July. We don't need to celebrate every day of the year. Otherwise, we diminish its importance. So um, I'm glad that uh, this community has now the rights that they have, and they should have these rights. But then they have to understand that you can't interfere in, in, in other people's will. When you go in the schools and start teaching uh, transgenderism and rubbish like this with drag queens teaching to little children. Yeah, that's sort of, um, little, that's a little too far in my opinion. I think I might have lost Leo there. Yeah, no, no. I'm oh, here. you're here. Okay, good. Yeah. But yes, that's going a little too far, Leo, in my opinion. And I don't support. Oh, absolutely. I don't support absolutely. some of these, um, the whole transgender thing in sports because it's a, uh, it's very unequal for the, the female very athletes unequal. out there. Sports, sports is unequal. I mean, the two bodies have been made by God as two different bodies. Uh, you can't uh, uh, go and, uh, and and say because you had maybe a sex operation that you are the same uh, of, of of an ordinary female or. Uh, it, it's just not, it's just wrong. And this whole thing of gender fluidity. For sure. And it's just bullshit which has been created to destroy the family nucleus, to destroy those conservative values. You know why? I mean, people think uh, Pump Springs nowadays, of course, uh, is the, 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 you know, uh, the home of a big LGBTQ community. So that's it. You have to understand, I came here because this is also the home of the Rat Pack, of the Sicilian Mafia. This is the place where people like Frank Sinatra reside. Oh, well, yes, of course, of course. This is a place, a very serious place in those regards. I mean, I mean, you have to understand there has to be respect. So I think that uh, they know that there are certain limits that maybe they shouldn't have passed. And I hope that they will uh, go back to be uh, sensitive towards the rest of the community because they're welcome to go on and do whatever they want. But they, they are affecting other people. And when they're affecting children, that's intolerable. For sure. And of course, the Twin Palms, Frank Sinatra State out there, very beautiful location. Of course, Jack Parsons also was someone Absolutely. who stayed out there. So yes, it's a great place. It does. And then, of course, there is the movie Colony, so it's connected to Hollywood, right. to a whole golden era of Hollywood. And, 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 and I hope that, and I mean, Sonny Bono was the mayor of this place, but he wasn't yep. a Democrat. I mean, it's like people think uh, Frank Sinatra at the beginning of the 70s quitted the Democratic Party and embraced the Republican Party because he saw where the Democratic Party was going. It was going towards extremism. And, and now in 2000, and 20 in these elections with Bernie Sanders and Buttigieg, we are seeing this extremism. These people are socialist slash communist Marxists. They're people who are feeding off the worst ideologies that ever came out of the dark side of the Illuminati. It's funny you said socialism. The only good thing socialism has ever brought us, uh, Leo, is the AK-47. 
<laughs> well, it's a beautiful course, gun. Uh, you know, the, 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 the great uh, thing about the Russians is uh, that uh, they have always had uh, a lot of uh, brains when it comes down to, to building uh, a weapon like that. They are absolute genius, but many other things. Uh, the problem with the Russian people is uh, that, unfortunately, they, 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 they implemented this uh, this uh, ideology for so long that has created some very long-lasting consequences. Now, people think because, you see, you had the end of the Soviet Union in the 90s, uh, that basically nowadays uh, there is no more talk of communism or all that. But a lot of those people were brought up in communism. A lot of those generations were brought up by the Soviet Union, and they never really changed their ways to uh, Russia as soon as the Soviet Union ended. Because uh, in our family, we even had relatives who had to escape uh, when there was the revolution. So one of the, the great wishes of my grandmother uh, was to actually go into Russia as soon as there was the possibility. She actually went before me when the Soviet Union was about to collapse. Interesting. Right in that period. And okay. I went immediately after when they called me there and I started to work with the Russian Ministry of Culture for uh, educating them on the history of uh, music, dance music. At that time, that was my job. And, uh, and I did a great job also as a, in the radios of Russia as a speaker. I was the first foreign speaker to actually be allowed to, to, to have radio shows which were cultural. I mean, we were talking about art and uh, talking about music, art, and culture in general, and even politics at times. And I must say that um, I really saw the rise of Putin, and uh, in the end, Russia opted for what they called a form of uh, democratic dictatorship, because that's what they want. They want a strong man. They don't want this uh, volatile world where, you know, at times uh, democracy becomes, unfortunately, a very volatile world, especially when you have uh, people who um, abuse it. I agree, and, uh, I agree. We have seen uh, often the left uh, abusing it, unfortunately, because they are masters in bureaucracy. It's like Russia. In Russia, still, bureaucracy is the same as the, in the time of the Soviet Union. I mean, and it's a big machine. Uh, that never changes. In Europe, bureaucracy, most states, uh, is still this kind of uh, that the states have. And it's always because of socialism and uh, at times communism that you have this kind of mentality. A quick shout that out. leaves everything into mm -hmm. the hands of the state. You know? It's what Bernie Sanders wants to do. I and mean, it's a nightmare. We'll talk about that right now, but I just wanted to quickly say shout out to the former fallen Kalashnikov who, of course, brought us the AK-47. And, of yeah. course, we, you, well, actually, you, you mentioned Bernie Sanders. And I'm curious what your take is on Joe Biden and, and the rest of the Democrats out there. What's your take on these individuals? Of them, because uh, the Democrats are uh, the product uh, of, uh, of Jesuitry. I mean, Jesuitism has uh, embedded this whole political arena and has also moved uh, the Democratic Party from a patriotic party into an anti-American party. That is really sad to see. I mean, here we have people like Ocasio-Cortez uh, and, uh, and her Muslim friends. She, for example, she's not a Muslim, no? but she writes, in fact, for the Jesuits. I saw articles of Ocasio-Cortez for the official Jesuit publication of New York. 
she is totally in bed with the Jesuits. And she's also chicken brain because they need people like that. Like we have two cells in the brain and they give them this uh, fake, um, you know, these fake missions that uh, they have to save the planet because of climate change, all that kind of rubbish. And they have to, of course, worship Greta Thunberg now because she's the new saint of the Catholic Church almost, even if she comes out of Sweden. And it, it's really sad to see that this. You see, I went around Europe for many years studying uh, and also, of course, participating to lodge meetings uh, in my capacity when I was a Freemason, member of the OTO, member of various secret societies. I lived many years in Scandinavia. Right. And so I witnessed uh, firsthand what it means, uh, Scandinavian socialism. And I wanted to really study it in depth because I wanted to have a first-hand experience. Man, it's a miracle I came out alive. It really Behind is. Scenes, there are a bunch of Satanists, some of the most vicious Satanists, bloodthirsty, human sacrificing, pagan, fake Christians all the way. And, uh, and of course, allied with Islam. That's why they have uh, welcomed the Muslim invasion. And that's why now there is whole areas of Sweden or Norway or whatever that that are in the hands of these people that actually uh, following the Sharia or in the middle of Europe or in Northern Europe, which is crazy. They do it, of course, also in France, which has a large Muslim population because of the colonies, but they have also literally invaded uh, Scandinavia, which used to be a very peaceful and tranquil setup, bringing everything that is wrong from their countries. I'm sorry to say that. And uh, it was uh, for me very sad to see how naive these Northern people were and relating with these Arabs or these Persian people from Iran and so on. Because those people are real big time crooks. And me, I'm half from Sicily, I understand it. I actually have their blood in my blood. You understand? I'm from, I have this kind of mixed blood. My, today I discovered, thanks to a DNA research, actually I'm only 39% Italian. <laughs> really? But I have 6% <laughs> Portuguese and Spanish blood. And I have even one, I'm actually. Uh, over 1%, 1.1% Native American, because part of my family live in South America. So I have also links to the to the American continent, and I have even links to Eastern Europe. But uh, I, yes, I am less Italian than expected. But I knew that because, of course, my father was an aristocrat from Sicily, and most of them were not really pure Italians to start with. And uh, so. so I understand that when I see the Scandinavian model of society uh, being uh, uh, literally raped by these people, these crooks, uh, I was like uh, watching it in disbelief. And I was watching disbelief how the Norwegians uh, would do anything to please them. It sounds like most of um, most of the world out there. And by the way, I gotta you ask. know, but uh, remember that this happened twenty years ago when I was uh, living there. And True. so, yeah, you're right. Then, then uh, when I finally came out of all that, and you know, I started actually my exposure work when I was still actually married even to a Muslim woman in 2006. But when I came out of all that. I finally could bring my perspective to the to the table. I think I have a 360, 360 degrees perspective of the whole thing. 
and of the problems that might arise in this side of the world if you do the same mistakes they did over there. So for me to see Bernie Sanders who wants to implement all the values of Scandinavian socialism here in the United States, well, you can understand that I already seen it and I see how bad it works. People suicide themselves, the highest suicide rate in Europe in those countries. Not only because of the lack of sun, but because of the society that pushes everything down. And you can't, there is a thing that in the whole of Scandinavia, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and all the Finland, they have this mentality that nobody in the society can rise to the level of stardom and can prevail. So everybody has to be kept at a social level, which is the same. It's socialism. By the way, in the chat room, I could see people chatting about Norway and yes. the band Mayhem. And if you recall, we ah, talked a little bit about that last time you were here. Yes, yes. I actually, one, one of the, the first reasons for me to go up there uh, in Norway, I was working at the time with Finland, with Russia, with other countries. But in Scandinavia, I heard that Norway was important when, of course, they start burning churches. And uh, I wanted to know more about what was happening. That's so, so wild, I, by the way. I ended up actually in Bergen, which is the place where all these people came from. And, uh, and so I met some of their friends, some of their closest friends, and uh, I was able to, to, to understand who was behind it in the end. And it was actually, of course, the OTO, uh, the, 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 the groups like that, secret societies that, of course, uh, were very uh, much active uh, at the time, that uh, were vehemently anti-Christian. And unfortunately, they inspired the burning of these beautiful churches that were uh, a thousand years old and that they will never be recovered because, of course, they were made of wood and they were set on fire. So that's a loss for the collectivity. And, and at the same time, though, I saw the negative forces that this Satanism was uh, bringing together was from people who were not really... Uh, believing in a Satan entity. No, no, they were completely atheists and uh, they were using symbols of black magic, the symbol of Satan and this and that because they were trying to uh, impose sort of their own uh, uh, do what the will philosophy, do what you want philosophy. And, uh, and in the end, though, they all came out as losers because, as I said, a lot of these people ruined their lives. Uh, because uh, you cannot, uh, of course, uh, you, you don't have to believe in Satan, but he believes in you. <laughs> and so the best trick that, as you know, the devil has always <laughs> put, uh, put in front of is not to believe in him. And so at the moment, if you don't believe in him or you don't believe in his religion, you don't believe in these demonic entities, they prevail. And that society was inherently evil with people pretending to be one thing at night doing completely the opposite. It was like an horror movie. So Leo, you're not a fan of black metal. No, I'm not a fan of black metal, but I must tell you the truth. Uh, black metal popped, uh, popped up in, 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 because of this reaction. These groups like the OTO had built a very strong following in the 80s. And uh, especially in places like Bergen and Oslo. Bergen actually was their headquarters because the master uh, was a guy called, uh, who is still alive, to my knowledge, uh, called Ariel Stromsvag. And he is uh, still, I think, the current grandmaster of the OTO, but also he's a musician. 
So you see, there was also a link, very direct link with the music world. So a lot of these people at night will go around clubs. And, and so by me being able as a DJ to go in those environments without being noticed. Yeah, you I saw it. Acquire, yeah, I could yeah. see okay. and I could also acquire a lot of information and I could acquire through their trust. And then I entered their lodges, then I entered their rituals, and then I got a little bit scared because at one point, I was faced with the choice. If I go further, then I will have to be involved in some really, really dark stuff. My and goodness. So I was like, uh, <laughs> that's not for me. For but sure. Definitely helped me understanding how evil can uh, hide in plain sight in countries where people uh, seemingly seem uh, very innocent and Pippi Longstrom style and everything is kind of uh, funny. But then, you know, maybe the guy like Carl Abramson, he looks like a professor uh, with uh, all these blonde children and him with the glass on him, maybe wears a very... The, the, the actual people who you see in the dark scene, in the metal, black metal scene, they are like the soldiers of these evil people. These evil people are like professors, like uh, lawyers, uh, people, uh, doctors, especially in the society, psychiatrists that had this double kind of uh, identity. That then, you know, you could find them at night dressed in latex in some kind of weird satanic S&M club. A double life, yes. Quite yes. common for sure. And of course, if anybody wants to uh, look further into what we're talking about, there's actually a documentary. Well, not a documentary, but there, there's something on Netflix, by the way. I think it's called Lord of Chaos, if I remember. It's not a documentary. It's just a biopic. And it's, um, well, some people liked it, some people didn't. I'm not sure if you saw it, I think that the Lord of Chaos was actually based uh, on a book. And the guy who actually wrote the book is a guy who actually has been linked to the OTO. And in fact, he works together with a guy I knew very well who was the secretary of the OTO in Oslo. Very interesting. And of course, Leo, there was another comment made early on uh, by someone, I think, by the name of DQ. And they said, ask Leo about his feud with Adam Green from No More News. Um, what's going on with you and Adam ah, Green? Fail. It's not really a fail. I mean, who's this guy? The guy uh, is somebody from what I heard, uh, because uh, after I had to get some proper info on, on him because, that you can't find on the net, because I really wanted to know what was his problem. Initially, I saw him like uh, this guy was some kind of anti-Zionist accusing me, Alex Jones, uh, and of mm. course, especially Alex Jones, uh, he was targeting infos all the time, and, and even Trump uh, saying that we are all Jewish uh, uh, Zionists. Oh, is it because uh, of his wife? Is that why he was angry? No, apparently from what instead uh, people from uh, then people in Jerusalem told me. So people because he actually has been in Israel and he's actually partly Jewish. So it is a problem that has to do with his not accepting his Jewish side. Interesting. And it's a more profound problem that has to do with the sick psyche. In fact, uh, um, a few weeks ago, when I brought up this uh, this thing with um, with uh, the pew, uh, a day or two later, one of the people from the pew who didn't tell me anything is Lowell, is a Jewish, is a Jewish representative there in Jerusalem, uh, who used to used to be a student of Barry Kamish. You remember Barry Kamish? Mm -hmm. um, 
and a very is a very intelligent guy. He went there and to the Twitter, I think, of Adam Grimm and started to ask him, why did you attack uh, Zagami making that video? I think on the 5th of January. Why did, what's your problem with him? What was, uh, um, and uh, he, as I said, he doesn't seem to be a bad guy. I think he simply has a problem of identity because he is basically rejecting his Jewish side. I mean, it's something that he, he has to sort out. And I think that lately he has actually brought somebody from a rabbi, somebody in his show. And so it, it seems like he wants to maybe change direction. You see, I have been very critical about Zionism, especially labor Zionism. But we have to be very, very careful to not confuse labor Zionism with True. Zionism in general, right, right. which was born out of a reaction to those heresies which we discussed earlier in the show, the Sabbatean Frankist heresy. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, and also the, the necessity of the Jewish people of having, of course, their own land. But at the same time, uh, it's very instrumental, as you know, this land for a series of controversies that have been, uh, um, have, have never ended. And that are not only the Jewish people facing the Palestinians, but is the interference of foreign people like England, that was a big player, Great Britain, because that Palestine was part of their own protectorate, but before that there was Turkey, and it's 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 a lot of uh, clashes going on, especially when it comes to the Shiites, the Sunni. So then you have, of course, uh, these never-ending fights that are internal to Islam, that are used then by the external forces like the Jesuits to manipulate them. And so then you have uh, groups like Hamas or Hezbollah, which uh, are, of course, uh, uh, respectively uh, of two different sides of Islam that though end up playing into the enemy and what the enemy is doing. Uh, Alicia Jelly, I don't know if you know who he is, he used to be the worship master of the P2 Lodge. Alicia Jelly is a very famous guy, even if now he's, he's dead, he died in uh, four years ago. And uh, what happened is that he wrote a book on the history of the Knights Templars, and he himself knew a lot about it. And he said the Templars were clever enough to always play the opposite sides of Islam against them during their time in Jerusalem, while they kept on in control of the situation. <laughs> so it's something that's been going on for hundreds of years, I guess, this uh, conflicts but now it's different because now of course now the Israelites have returned to their land in a way they have fulfilled the prophecy and now we have to work together and of course we have to there is a negative side to that prophecy we all know about of course the interest that the antichrist will have but we also know that christ will have the same interest the messiah will be the same for the jews and the christians and of course, even the Muslims. So it's, it, it is a very delicate time that we are living in that needs to be um, uh, monitored and discussed, I think, with a certain degree of responsibility without uh, Adam Green has been very simplistic. And uh, people like this, uh, with their own way of doing things, unfortunately, end up hurting their own people. In fact, Adam Green, with his own uh, anti-Zionist vision of things, that, uh, of course, I can understand some of it, but some of it completely wrong. And in the end, who is he harming? He's harming his, harming his own people, because he's actually partly Jewish. My goodness. So let me get this straight. 
he is actually a Jew and he hates himself, basically. Is that what you're telling me here? Uh, yes, it's like Adolf Hitler. You know, like Adolf goodness. Hitler was part Jew. For sure. My that's, God. Uh, that's unfortunate. I think that now Adam Green has understood that. Do you because, think? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Uh, no, because after the criticism which I moved against him on the pew, and actually I did it on purpose because I wanted to do it in front of Roseanne and of my of a guy from Jerusalem, and of course monitored by all the rabbis and everything. I wanted to make it clear. This guy needs to to be helped, and uh, they actually apparently tried to contact him, and they're trying to help him. So in the end, I hope that he will uh, uh, endorse a different vision of things. You're only trying to help. I understand that. Do you think Adam Green is a beta male? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I don't really. I don't really stand by these uh, identification, these classifications, though. Um, well, look I who's think afraid of Adam Green? Gent guy. He's very magnetic. He has definitely attracted the interest of a lot of people. <laughs> so that could uh, put him uh, in a different category for some people. Maybe they will think he's more of an alpha male. But I think that. Uh, he has a problem with his own ethnicity, from what I know, because of problems that he had in his own family with people of the Jewish side of his family, yes. that he had uh, really some personal problems. That's, so that's, that's where the root comes from. Okay. Yes. I see. My God, my God. Well, that's life. Sometimes it's just a roll of the dice. You don't know where it's going to end up. And, you know, sometimes you got to go where it goes. Flow with the flow with, with water. Flow like water. <laughs> my God. I mean, I wish him all well, and it wasn't for me, uh, you know, like I didn't criticize him because I wanted anything bad for him. Um, he uh, instead criticized me in a very vicious way, and so it's his own problem, you know. In the end, I'm sure that uh, he will come to regret it. Understood. Understood. Well, that's unfortunate. I, I hope everything works out for him. Absolutely. But we will keep him in, 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 in our prayers, and as I said, there is... People of uh, Jewish faith that are trying to get him to realize certain mistakes. And uh, th that's to do with his ethnicity. If he wasn't Jewish, it would be a completely different ballgame. I see. Understood. And one of the things that you talked about the very last time you were here, Leo, and it's something that my listeners were quite intrigued about, was your encounter with Benjamin Fulford. Both of you published books together at one time. Both of you were, I guess you could say, friends at one time. And of course, you revealed... Something pretty heavy the last time you here you were here, Leo. I find him completely bizarre, man. I mean, oh the God. guy has lost his, uh, his last sense of decency, and he's completely insane in his statements. I mean, he says things that, uh, I mean, he sends me mails, and I'm like, Benjamin, why don't you go back to be a serious journalist? I mean, you have to understand how I met Benjamin. You know, I come from a journalistic background, okay? Aside from my background in the music business, my second job uh, when I had spare time was always to be a journalist. I learned the trade by going into a newspaper called La Repubblica when I was very young. And I uh, actually even younger, when I was only 15, 16, I actually started working with uh, a socialist radio station after I worked in a Catholic radio station to start with. And I always aimed at being a journalist. So I went around in the 80s interviewing people, even rather famous people, and uh, for my radio shows and stuff. 
and the internet didn't exist back then so it was a very different kind of game um you had to be really a professional you had to learn the trade and i learned it from a very very young age i had my first radio show when i was 13 age uh, 13 years of age yeah that's crazy I went on I went on the radio the first time when I was 10 years old, uh, reading uh, fairy tales for kids. Yeah, for those that don't know, Leo was a well-established DJ at one time, very, very popular too. Yeah, I was both a DJ, a radio presenter, and during my time as a radio presenter, I became also a journalist, because in Italy... To uh, be a journalist, you have to belong to an order of the journalists, and you can only exceed if you are uh, working with a recognized uh, news organization. And so I started to work with a recognized news organization at a very early age. I remember still I had this card as a journalist. I was very proud of it. I was only 16 and I was trying to make myself up even when I went around for the interviews, you know, <laughs> like uh, to these big people, groups and stuff, especially in the music business. And, uh, and, and but it teached me a lot, teach me a lot to, to, to do that uh, and to work. Uh, then later on, when I started uh, as a DJ and I became uh, not started as a DJ. I brought basically my DJing skills in bigger clubs because I always started with some parties, some clubs in t- between the age of 13 and 16. At 16, I started working in clubs and then I started working thanks to my grandmother immediately in clubs that were legendary. I was very lucky because my grandmother, uh, Felicity Mason and coming, uh, uh, was a very influential person, uh, friend with everyone in the music business, uh, from the Rolling Stones to Sting to Petro. And uh, I was, uh, Peter Gabriel write me letters saying I could go and visit him in his studios. People will be very, very helpful. So I found myself, though I was very passionate about music from a very early age, uh, when I was 16, 17, I started working clubs in London. And London was really the place to be in the 80s. And these clubs were not just any club, but were clubs in Bond Street, like Legends, where you had people like uh, their only stone, Simple Minds, uh, uh, people, all kinds of famous people coming in at every hour of the day and night. And I was DJing there, and I became very popular. Uh, Style Council, Paul Werle from the Style Council used to come in and play some records with me sometime. And so I immediately uh, known, uh, uh, I mean, I wanted to bring a different side of music. I was very fixated from the mid 80s in electronic music on the contrary of what was going on in the mainstream uh, radios and so on. And so I was following very much electro and the early house scene. And, uh, you need that kind of music, that, by the way, Leo, for your intro, for the intro of the Pew, some good electronic music from you would be nice. I would like it to do so. The problem with the Pew is that we, as I said, we, but like all our productions, we still don't have a main studio for right, mixing right. the whole thing, but we will that. in the next few, uh, few months probably have a more professional setup. As I said before, we are doing it really focusing more on the content than sure. on, uh, on the technical side of things. Um, and, and this is good because I think that uh, we are leaving more importance to, to, to what we want to discuss for to have a more professional setup. I mean, you have to understand that uh, I'm used to 
you were talking about the Lords of Chaos uh, that uh, um, based on the book Lords of Chaos, that movie from 2018. Right. Uh, the music is composed by Sigur Ross. Sigur Ross used to come to my parties in Iceland. Wow. I mean, I used to DJ for them, and uh, my DJ parties were a mix of esoteric content with people from the OTO and other people doing projections, occult symbols, all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was in the dark side. Yeah, you I, were I deep. I was very deep in the dark side, so I was pretty much, uh, but at the same time, I was also uh, kind of wanting to understand more, always. Never, you know, giving everything uh, for granted. And uh, in the end, like like uh, like I said, I opposed all this. And but when I opposed it, uh, then uh, it was uh, initially was a big clash, uh, and I started having some very serious problems because these people, very powerful people. I hear you. And Leo, as we wind down here, we are coming close to the end here, and I feel bad. There's so much to talk to you about, but of course, as we were discussing. Uh, religion earlier, I meant to ask you, what are your thoughts in terms of most of America now starting to turn away from religion and the rise of witchcraft is here? There's all sorts of conventions going on now. There's the um, welcome. I, I think mm -hmm. that from, from what I can gather from my own experience, uh, yes, there is definitely a rise in paganism and uh, there is a rise in the darkest sides of paganism, even amongst Freemasonry. And that's very sad to see that some lodges have gone really totally the wrong way. Uh, they have forgotten uh, that Freemasonry, for example, has Christian origins. And so I'm trying to bring those origins back uh, in, into Freemasonry by trying to teach those people who have uh, who want to listen uh, unfortunately though as i said uh, um, darkness prevails in many institutions the church freemasonry politics uh, and, uh, and and that's the big problem of our age and uh, it's not only a problem in freemasonry or in the religion specific religion like catholic church because all churches have problems and so a lot of people kind of uh, um, don't want to go to church anymore because of all the scandals or don't want to go towards Christianity because of all the scandals and so they go towards the other direction. However, I must say, to be honest, that I'm seeing since the advent of this new age of Trump a big change because there is people who are here and, and I crossed United States, as you know, I went all over Route 60, I went all over the United States. Word. I went uh, from uh, Colorado to Idaho to Utah to Nevada to Texas to New Mexico, everywhere. And, States, and, yeah. and what I can perceive is that there is a lot of people who went back to tradition and want to go back to a proper uh, Christian way of perceiving things and a Christian conservative way of perceiving. But that, what does this mean? I think that. In the end, unfortunately, um, the, the, the enemy has realized the destruction of the family values, has realized all this because they have in their hands the media, they can inspire people negatively from Hollywood with the films, they can do it through music. I know it myself because, as I told you, I was involved with music myself, so I know how easy it's to right. manipulate people using certain certain catchy phrases or certain symbols. Um, but now we are in a, in, in a moment of time where uh, it's, it's also becoming evident that this stands with a completely different way of life. 
And, and, and so I think that the big problem here that I described in volume four of my confessions is that uh, if they continue forcing uh, this conflict between these two sides of society, uh, of course, at that point, we go towards a civil war. And then uh, uh, this is not going to be anymore the United States of America, but the separated states of America. Some states are going to go one way. Some states are going to go the other. Because it's really becoming obvious that there is here uh, two different sides of society that uh, don't really get on with each other. I agree. We're seeing it all the time. And of course, your book, Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume 4, I believe, American Renaissance 2.0 and the missing link from the invisible world. It is out now. Definitely pick it up. I actually have a copy. I think it's it's a fantastic book like the rest of your books. Many consider all your books um, quite vital, Leo. Thank you, thank you. It's it's a lot of work doing books. It's really a lot of work. Uh, I'm glad that finally now I have been able to um, find a new home here uh, where I can have at least the possibility of working uh, by sitting down and writing day and night. Uh, because that's for me, it's like a job, of course, but uh, it's not like working in a factory. Working, You have to uh, understand that you are filtering something that is very important, is a collective, um, is a message to the collectivity, is information that needs to bring people to awareness through also uh, credible sources, credible links, footnotes that are uh, in my books also, as you know, very meticulous. Right. I try to do this uh, for the sake of knowledge. So I'm glad that the Pew has, uh, that is my show on Sunday that we've been talking about. Sunday, Uh, right. Yes, uh, every Sunday and tomorrow, of course, uh, at 9.30 a.m. PST, we have another episode. And aside from Rosanbar, which, of course, we all know, we have people of great culture that uh, contribute uh, with their knowledge. And they are uh, people from different uh, walks of life, uh, with very different visions of life. We have uh, Rudolf Steiner style personality like John Barnwell, who has been the manager of the Mayflower Bookshop, which is one of the main esoteric bookshop in the Western world. I mean, the Mayflower Bookshop is, is an incredible place. And he was the manager of this place. And so, so I mean, uh, it's somebody who knows about certain books, about uh, certain things. I think that we are disclosing a lot with my books and with my shows. For sure. And I, and I hope that I will be able to disclose more. The, the thing is that the Vatican in the last... Uh, last few months since I left Italy has actually been even more aggressive against me. I mean, uh, I I will not be able to go now back to Italy. Ah, you miss it. No, no, I will not be able to go back. Oh, you won't go back? Okay. No, 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 I'm just saying because they they might arrest me as soon as I arrive. Oh, my. I mean, they are actively persecuting not only me now, but they're now persecuting also my supporters and followers. Oh, that's not good to hear, Leo. the Vatican has issued uh, through their uh, their friends at the Rotary Club and stuff. They have been attacking me left, right, and center, inspiring maybe people to move lawsuits and other things, but also uh, trying to get me to shush, to to to, shush, to, to yeah, silence. Of course. 
So, I mean, I'm glad that I'm not there anymore. I'm really yeah, glad. So, I course. guess that how do you see me after my move? I mean, we know each other for a while now. No? And um, I think that now that I moved here to the U.S., at least I feel like comfortable. You seem happier, here. Leo. You know, I've talked to you on and off before, and I've seen some of the things you talk about, of course, and I feel like uh, you're doing quite well, better than a lot of other people that move here and don't do anything. <laughs> now, well, uh, of course, uh, I want to, uh, I moved here to bring something added to American society. When I asked, uh, uh, now I've gone through my process and also I asked the help of the Republican Lawyers Association and, and so on for, for, for this process that I hope will be successful is because I want to contribute uh, uh, and I don't want to be a weight in any way to American society. That's pretty noble. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this process also in the most uh, legal way possible. And uh, that is the only way that everybody should do this process. Unfortunately, I must say that compared to how it was for a lot of my friends that came here 20, 30 years ago, now it takes a lot, a lot more time. And, uh, the, the, and, and the results are not as certain as they was 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm really waiting months and months on end. And I still uh, don't know for, 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 for 100% that, you know, I have to always have a backup plan. I have a backup plan, but ultimately I hope that uh, with the re-election of President Trump, I will become an American citizen. Well, I hope the best for you, Leo. And of course, I only have two more questions left before I let you go, Leo, and I hope you can answer them. They, of course, are fun questions for you. And I, I definitely needed to get these in there before I let you go. And of course, many years ago, Leo, we heard Father Malachi Martin uh, talk about, talk about uh, this personally. He personally observed a satanic ritual being carried out by one of the high-ranking priests uh, there. And at the time, many wrote him off. They didn't believe what he was saying. And of no. course, now we know that he probably wasn't lying, was he? No, he wasn't. And uh, in fact, uh, this was uh, also something that happened as soon as they came out uh, in the public arena with uh, my work in 2006. In the middle of 2006, I started uh, this uh, middle, I would say September 2006, so not right at the middle, but at the middle of 2006, there was a particular episode that created this friction against the Monte Carlo Lodge that kind of gave me the, the start to, to, to search a way to survive these people and to also expose what they were doing because I wasn't happy with what they were doing. And I knew that what Father Malachi Martin had uh, said was true because I had viewed it myself that uh, there were people doing those things and that there were uh, uh, all this uh, corruption and all that going on in the Vatican and that there was actually Satanism going on in the Vatican. And so I wanted to make it public. So I was uh, exposing it with a small blog, but then of course it was picked up by David Hike. And then I also started a show with Greg Zismanski on the Genesis Broadcasting Network. Uh, that was very successful at that time. We were not uh, as many as we are now doing what we are doing because also technically you needed to be a little bit uh, uh, more professional. No, you had to, you know, you couldn't just uh, bring around your own podcast from one moment to the other. <laughs> uh -huh, yes. So, so it, it wasn't, it was different back then. So you actually oh, yeah. rely on radios and stuff. So when I came out with this information, I was immediately attacked. I mean, I ended up with an espionage accusation. I ended up with a government like the Norwegian government putting me inside a car with the free Secret Service member threatening me to close down my website. 
I mean, they came even into my house with police, uh, social workers threatening to take my child that after they eventually managed to convince my wife and they, but uh, all this uh, happened at the time and it was uh, shocking, no? Of yeah, course. Went through all this. Uh, fortunately now with my new wife and with the, uh, How is your new wife? This- yeah. How, how is the wife doing? Is she, is she okay out there? She is, well, she's American, so she's definitely. But she okay. likes Palm Springs. She definitely likes Palm Springs. She's oh, okay. never been here in Southern California like me, so it was uh, totally new for both of us. Nice, but okay. We had been here in 2014 for a few months. So we had been uh, living in Long Beach. Oh, Long Beach, right? We had right, been right. working uh, long. Uh, that's how actually I found eventually a book deal because it took me a few months to find a book deal here in the States. I went back. Uh, to Italy, and I started immediately working on the translation of the books, which took uh, three years to translate all the books I had already written. And then I started to write new ones, of no, course. But okay. uh, as you know, I published five, I published now what? I mean, a number of books in the English That's language. I think they are now seven, eight, I don't know, but yeah. quite a lot. So, uh, I have published with both uh, my wife's publishing company, which is Cool Superficial, which we run uh, basically together. And then uh, the, the other company, which is uh, Brad Olson CCCC Publishing, based in uh, San Francisco, which uh, published uh, the, the, the trilogy, and then uh, the Pope Francis Last Pope question mark, and the Invisible Master. So, yes, I published eight books up until now in the English language, and I'm glad that I have translated all the work because the most difficult part of it was actually the translation. Um, more than writing these new ones, which I actually started to write directly in English to make it more easy. While instead the translation, to make it really effective and to make it feel like it wasn't a translation, it took us uh, a long time. And unfortunately, you know, it's not like we, we get rewarded uh, what people imagine with, I don't know how much money. It's, it's, it's kind of modest what you get through books. Oh, yes. Uh, um, but it is important because it finally led people, led the people to understand that Leo Zagami was actually not only correct about certain things that he was saying back uh, 15, uh, 20 years ago, but the fact is that uh, Leo Zagami is also somebody who has a lot more knowledge than only the videos, articles you can read on the internet which is maybe a page or two very true a book a book is a much more in-depth experience and so it is also a more challenging experience and, and it and it has given me that credibility which i think is important now because now people know that it's not just you see i, I got attacked a lot when i came out with my my take of the story of the new world order my involvement with the illuminati network and all the secret society freemasonry i got really attacked a lot i bet in 2006 the situation in the internet was few forums social networks were just being born just starting right starting there was myspace facebook was just appearing in the universities and so on and, 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 and these uh, people from these secret societies, they, they had a million throats against me on the, on the internet, writing all kinds of rubbish. I mean, it was like suddenly I will, I mean, I was writing, of course, my blog, this and that. I started the exposure work. Then they tried to close down the blog. The, literally, they, the, the secret service, actually Norwegian intelligence called the PST. Uh, which is uh, like the MI5, the Internal Security Service, 
came to me, threatened me. I refused. The website was closed down from Squarespace, which was hosting it, and was transferred in 24 hours to a host, a web uh, host in, in Italy to, 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 to be more safe. And uh, then we moved it around so to keep it uh, to keep it uh, up. But I didn't have the possibility of keeping things up because I will get hacked. And uh, it, it took a long time to secure and understand how the internet works. Yes. And uh, in the meantime, I will just put on the web every day, and suddenly I will see new stories on me that were completely. <laughs> I don't know. People were making things up on me. The joys of, of the internet, no doubt. Yeah, and, and it, it hurt me, especially at the beginning, because I was very genuine and wanting to You're trying to come help. Out. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to help. I was coming out of this uh, setup of crooks, uh, but also I was used to be involved with these people. So I was, you know, usually treated very well, you know, in, in places, billers, nice car, whatever, Monte Carlo, Monaco, London, whatever, and I go, going to Moscow, going there, going going all over around the world and being treated in a certain way. And then you go on the internet and you are trying to help people and they're insulting you and, and saying that you were a fake, this and that and all the other. I, of course, avoided the confrontation where possible, and I simply stuck to the message and also brought out, of course, the evidence uh, with documents, photos, and so on, because I had created this evidence as a backup plan. I knew that it could, uh, it could be important to expose these people if they didn't stand to the packs, and that once I saw that... Uh, uh, they were actually threatening my life. I exposed them. And so the first thing I remember they did, I had a, had a computer back then, a Mac uh, G4. Oh, yes. You know, those PowerBook Mac G4? I recall. Um, and what happened, it was incredible. I had started this exposure work, and uh, this guy who I had exposed from the International Rotary Club called Giorgio Gobalestrieri from the P2 Lodge, he was an expert in, uh, he worked for the NSA also and works for uh, close to Israeli intelligence and this and that. He sent me a virus and literally they had this in front of my eyes. The computer literally exploded. Wow. That bastard. And it was like a virus. It was like you heard it. Shtuk, and I was like, whoa, now I lost everything. Fortunately, I also had my own experts and I had a guy who was like really a, a super expert. Uh, at that time, people who, you know, were fixated with Mac were not as many. And this guy here was a real expert and he managed to do a what it would have cost me thousands of dollars, you know, to recover data recovery from hard disk when their damage cost a lot of money. Oh, yes. Fortunately, this guy was in one of my, uh, was in my, in my lodge in Oslo. And uh, we managed to recover all the material. And then that material was uh, used for establishing my first website. So, I mean, th there is things that happen even prior to me exposing all these people. There is, uh, you know, people don't know that. But, for example, between 2003 and 2006, before I came out publicly, I was already uh, fighting an internal war. And, uh, and and so kind of and this internal war brought me to different countries. It was like uh, with the support of very important people. But then so uh, it went from Egypt to Russia to England to Norway. To, so, I mean, <laughs> it was a pretty it was this internal war of the Illuminati network that then I um, exposed in my books later on. So it kind of like 
my books were a response to all this. And I understood that books were important the moment in which uh, I started to have hacks. Uh, and uh, after two years of starting my exposure work in 2008, I understood that the internet was not a safe place for my knowledge. Definitely. You, you have to grow a very thick skin, especially if you're going to be on the internet. And I'm sure you have all these years. And Leo, before I let you go, we are running out of time here. But before I let you go, what are your thoughts on the latest virus out there causing havoc, the coronavirus? that's turning China upside down as we speak right now. Yes, that is one of the things which actually I wrote in my books. I wrote in my book that in 2010, they will unleash a virus. I wrote it in volume two of my confessions. That's true, you <laughs> it did. Was written, it was written and published in Italy in 2012 and in Japan, and then also published in the English language three or four years ago. So, I mean, these are things that I have, uh, of course, uh, uh, I've, I've talked about them, and I warned people for years that this will happen. Nobody listened. We are now in this situation. The future of this COVID-19, unfortunately, uh, is, is, is just the start. Uh, it might not be even the, 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 the virus that hits uh, all these millions of people and that brings 75% uh, uh, of the population to, 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 to be eliminated because that's what they want to do. There is already another virus, apparently, that is already ready that is going to be even worse than the coronavirus and the new virus that they are they, that is going to come out uh, it's like entry is going to basically bring us to an instant heart attack and damage the heart very heavily within the first 24 hours and irreparably my goodness so this is the next strain of coronavirus that they are already implementing for the next level of attack on this uh, society which is this is an attack of course and, and it's it's an attack on our lives, and uh, we have permitted, unfortunately, all this. And uh, I hope that with uh, with these difficulties, will come also maybe some more faith in people, and uh, they will be able to understand really what is going on behind the scenes, because this is not uh, the, the 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 result of some freak uh, uh, encounter in nature with some animal, uh, some obscure animal in a in a jungle. Yeah, I don't believe that to be the case. I think it might have been be created in a lab. By yes, their and own, I actually uh, wrote an article. I was the first one in the world to broker this information. I don't know if you checked it out. On I the Leozagami.com site, we right. broke the information out that uh, there was a book uh, written in 1981 that actually had, uh, in 19, it was written in 1981, and originally it had this virus called Gorky 400 because it was based uh, in the Soviet Union. Uh, the, the enemy was the Soviet Union. Once the Soviet Union finished, the same author, uh, Dane Combs, which is very famous, uh, he actually uh, substituted in, in 1986 this. Uh, hello? I'm here. Yes, uh, mm -hmm. he substituted with Wuhan 400 and also he trimmed the whole, he, you know, like authors, uh, when we revise an old book, we tend to embellish it, trim it down, uh, make it a little bit better than the original. And in 1996, he envisioned that this Wuhan 400 was coming out of three. Of one laboratory outside of one that was one of the free uh, labs that the Chinese had 
that was working on biological weapons. So, I mean, it was pretty accurate. And I agree. Uh, people then now in the last few days after, I mean, I came out with this article, it went immediately viral. We received something like 20,000 visits in less than 24 hours on my site, uh, nearly crashing it. <laughs> and, 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 and then uh, I saw that now the Taiwan News brought out the same information. And, uh, and then people have been talking it, uh, talking about it around the world. So I'm very happy that, uh, that I broke this scoop. But it, it is definitely um, important to, uh, was important to broke this scoop because I wanted people to understand that uh, Dan Kuntz, who is, of course, a famous writer, one of the six most paid authors in the world, like most people who do that job, they take inspiration from reality. And they have connections with people maybe in certain uh, um, parts of society, like military intelligence or whatnot. So the fact that he knew about uh, biological weapons and what kind of game they were playing behind the scenes, and he even knew about a laboratory in Wuhan and named it Wuhan 400, well, it's no coincidence, of course. Is something that we all know, we all knew it will eventually happen and manifest, but it was... Uh, targeted for 2020 because yes. 2020 is this turning point in which either with a war or either with a virus you have to eliminate three quarters of the population of the earth because that's what the illuminati and the controllers of the new world order the state and all the rest have decided for us governments always want to kill someone leo and i want to thank you very much for being a part of the program leo once again thank you so much for being here we will definitely do this again in the very near future leo Thank you so much and all the best and God bless all your uh, listeners and God bless the United States of America that is now my new home. Thank oh, you. Wait a minute, Leo, before you go, go ahead and, and plug the pew one more time. <clears throat> I would like to, of course, plug the pew because it's uh, this new show that uh, we broadcast from the Leo Lyons Agami channel that you can find on YouTube. We will be able to broadcast also on other channels in the coming weeks. Uh, we are expanding our reach. Uh, it's featuring Roseanne Barr, the one and only Roseanne Barr that, of course, we all know about. And then we have a panel of eccentrics from all over the world, from London, Jerusalem, Detroit, and uh, people that are very clever authors, eccentrics, but also people that uh, want to put through uh, unconventional ideas that challenge and, and, and want to positively inspire people on a Sunday. Um, we, we, we have created this panel because we want to view these end times from a special platform. But uh, I wanted to also say to our viewers, uh, listeners, yeah. that uh, it is not like, and I said this also during the show uh, a couple of shows ago, we don't want to set uh, like, uh, we don't want to be viewed as we are on top of a pedestal preaching to, you know, it's, it's like a panel friends interacting and trying to help people understand certain topics. If these topics are too difficult to understand, I beg people to write to us and ask us and we will try in the best of our capacities to give you an answer because we touch on very, very particular subjects and right. at times, you know, it kind of intellectually maybe it's very challenging for the average uh, listener or uh, viewer. Uh, but we are doing it because we think that uh, rather than give you um, a show with the content of a million other shows, 
we want to uh, challenge uh, the, the, the people by viewing also different aspect of Rosanne, a, disp- a different aspect of Leo Zagami, and all this uh, with the help of some uh, great people who are also excellent authors themselves and uh, uh, people who have knowledge that is extraordinary. So put, let's put it together and together also with the listeners and the viewers that intervene uh, with the phone calls every now and then. We always try to have a challenging show on the topics that it's, it's like we discuss what is, you know, the topics of the week. Sometimes we discuss things that happened hundreds of years ago, but most of all, we try to, uh, to, to stand with the topics of the week. That is our idea. Very nice. Once again, thank you so much, Leo, for being a part of the program. And I'll talk to you again very soon with those drops, my friend. And thank you to have me on. And uh, of course, uh, I've uh, uh, told you to uh, buy my books because they help out very much uh, in my mission and in my uh, hopefully obtaining my U.S. citizenship. So please uh, go to liozagami.com. There is the links to my books or to my donation, of course, PayPal. Very nice. All right. Thank you, Leo. Take care. Thanks. Good night. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was the one and only Leo Zagami. Definitely check out his work. Go to his website or go to Amazon and pick up one of his books. Now, my goodness, it, now we're late. My God, we have to go on a break, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. And thank you for sticking around. We do have another guest coming up. Angel Millar is live and direct, boys and girls. Don't miss that. We'll be right back after this little break. Stay tuned.
and welcome back to the program. Did you miss me? I missed you. Trust me, I thought about you while I was holding myself and urinating. I kept thinking about the chat room and I kept thinking all those beautiful people in there. And, you know, I had to put it away. It was getting a little, um, little stiff there. So I'm glad you have returned. Thank you so much for being here, boys and girls. My God, I love the break. And now we are joined by our second guest, Mr. Angel Millar. Let's bring him in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Angel, what's going on back there? Oh, <laughs> I'm talking to my cat. Oh, you were talking to the, to a cat. Yeah. I thought you might have been doing something back there. <laughs> something inappropriate i was like holy shit angel we just <laughs> no, started no. my god so angel what's going on how are you my friend thank you so much for being a part of the program oh, i'm good michael thanks very much for inviting me on it's a it's a, a pleasure awesome angel tell us about yourself my god i have your book here and i'm blown away Great. by it and awesome yeah man i've been reading it and there's so much to say i have so many questions to ask you and, okay but before we do i want you to take us back to your roots you of course are from the uk yeah that's right i've, I've been living in uh, north america for about two decades but i'm actually uh from southeast london originally which uh is about 30 minutes by train into the center of london but uh yeah so i grew up really in a, a pretty small suburb and um uh yeah later on i went to uh, art college i went to uh, chelsea college of art and design and then central st martins and both of which are, are pretty pretty well known um pretty famous and then um in, in relation to uh, to the book uh, uh i started practicing kung fu in england a little bit after that oh, wow. and uh, when i was really early on i was very interested in spirituality and the esoteric and the occult and so on and did your father put you in karate uh no uh kung fu but no kung fu, I, actually, sorry yeah i actually started studying kung fu when i was around i think around 25 somewhere around there oh okay so later on in life yeah that's right yeah yeah so did you grow up playing soccer I, I did, although I didn't really like it because it's it's one of those things that's a little bit of an ego fest. So I, I kind of preferred uh, rugby and athletics. I like that. You know, I've never really liked uh, team sports too much, to be honest with you. I've always yeah. liked combat sports more, one-on-one. -on -one. Right. That's what I like. I, of course, grew up doing taekwondo and later, of course, jujitsu, judo, and boxing. Nice, nice. So yeah, yeah, I, I can relate with the things you talk about in your book, the cool. three stages of initiatic spirituality, craftsman and warrior and magician. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think I got some of those down except for the craftsman. <laughs> well, that's good. If you got two out of three, that's pretty good. Not there quite. Well, yeah, I'm still working on the craftsman. <laughs> I'm not that good yet with my hands. Yeah. To choke people, I am, though. I mean, I got that <laughs> down quite well, but not building stuff. Not that great. Cool. I'm getting there, though. But yeah, so, Angel, how on earth did you come across this subject? I'm sure your mom and dad definitely did not sort of um, push you this way. I'm sure you grew up yeah. <laughs> in a very religious household out there in the UK, right? Um, well, actually, uh, when I was growing up, and I think probably even now, Britain was really pretty secular. And, um, you know, if you, if you ask my parents uh, what religion we were, they would always say Church of England, but, um, that really meant that we didn't go to church and we didn't own a Bible or anything like that. So, yeah, so religion, spirituality, uh, the esoteric and the occult were 
were pretty much off the radar in terms of my family. Although I have an aunt who's kind of interested in these things as well, strangely enough. Really? But um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. She has a friend who writes books on tarot, and there we go. Kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then when I was around, probably around twelve years old, I started having an interest in UFOs a little bit, and it was kind of a a passing, uh, uh, passing interest maybe. But it it did get me into the swing of researching, and uh, and then when I was around fifteen, and I, I honestly have no idea why I, I bought the book but i bought a book on astral projection <laughs> wow. and the elements okay and uh, i tried out some of the astral projection techniques and and you know it was kind of interesting but i, I really had no idea of what it was really about or, or what the elements were or anything like this but um then a, a couple of years later i came across a uh uh, basically in a cult bookstore, you might say a new age bookstore, a few few miles from my uh, my parents' home. And uh, and it was kind of a scene there. It wasn't really just a bookshop. It was like strange, curious, colorful characters coming and going and uh, different people into different forms of occultism. And there was kind of like a neo-pagan spiritual group practicing there and that kind of thing. So so that was uh, uh, the little baptism by fire that I had. Uh, Understood. And I'm sure you have heard of Mr. David Icke since you were yeah, out there for yeah, a while, yeah, I'm that's sure. Right. I actually had his son on the program many, many years ago. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I, need to, I need to bring him back on. What's your yeah. take on Mr. David Icke? Uh, you know, I, I don't have a comprehensive view of him, but uh, from what I've heard him say, um, I think maybe he's actually become more uh, uh, more sensible over the years. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misreading it, but uh, I mean, he says some things that I, I think are a little bit out there, but then he says some things um, that seem to be pretty accurate in regard to, uh, you know, government surveillance and this kind of thing and the general culture um, of society. I, I think some of the things he says are, are pretty spot on. Now, your book, how long did it take you to compile the information? It's it's quite well written, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question because, uh, you know, I've written some books before, which were histories of uh, Freemasonry. And, um, you know, as I say, my uh, my interest in, in these subjects, especially, you know, the occult, the esoteric, um, goes back, you know, at least a couple of decades and, and um, you know, other aspects that are in the book, you know, I concentrate on the craftsman, warrior and magician. And so the warrior, I look at a lot of uh, martial arts um, in there. So and I've been practicing martial arts for a couple of decades as well on and off. So it's it's difficult to say when uh, when exactly I started uh, researching for this book. I mean, uh, literally speaking, it was probably a few years ago. It probably took a couple of years to write, but uh at the same time, it was kind of filtered through my uh, lifelong experiences as well. So I guess really it's probably taken more like 20 plus okay. years. It's ta- yeah, it's taken you a long time. And of course, Angel, you mentioned UFOs earlier. Have you had any sort of strange encounters with what would be considered the quote unquote paranormal or any strange lights in the sky at any time in your life, Angel? Uh, I haven't had any strange lights in the sky, really, but I've definitely experienced sort of weird experiences with uh, meditation and and different kind of things like that, but not lights in the sky per se. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. But you have I'm waiting for that. You're waiting for that one, but you have experienced something that you know, sort of paranormal, right? Uh, yeah, I would say so, definitely. Yeah. What happened? Tell us. Uh, yeah, a, a few different things. I mean, I would say that not exactly paranormal, but, but 
verging on paranormal and probably you know one of the, the least strange but memorable experiences i was uh i was meditating in a small uh, woods one day when i was pretty young and i was going uh, going through the chakras meditating on the chakras and um it, i only did it for a couple of minutes it really wasn't a big thing at all and you know usually i meditate for a lot longer but i i did it just for a couple of minutes and uh, and then when i was i thought i finished the meditation and i moved my hand and i noticed this sort of like stream of hands coming off when i moved so it was like um, i guess it's like rapid eye movement or something where you so i was seeing these like millions of hands and millions wow. of arms and it sort of became uh, lost in these moving arms and uh and, and hands i guess it's almost like an, an lsd trip or something like that <laughs> was which was pretty crazy really it especially crazy. as um you know it really wasn't uh, a big uh, big deal or anything that, that i was doing yeah, that's pretty trippy and of course you were very yeah. young and angel yeah. how old were you when you moved to new york um i was around um 28 i think 28 29 wow okay so you've been here a while yeah that's right i have yeah yeah and what was it like for you coming out here at at 28? Um, you know, it was uh, it was strange, but kind of fascinating. Uh, I, I have to say that um, you know, life sometimes proves you uh, wrong and pushes you into unexpected directions. And I never thought that I would ever come to New York. Um, uh, partly in England at that time. Uh, it was a sort of big impression of New York being this sort of violent gangland where, uh, you know, it was just uh, sort of, uh, you know, cultureless and dangerous. So when I actually came here, it wasn't yeah. like that at all. Why New York, though, out of all places? Yeah, well, I think it's partly to do with uh, American TV and American uh, okay. New York cop shows. <laughs> but, um, okay. but we were actually, when I was at high school, we were... Uh, we were given the book uh, Run Baby Run to read. I don't know if you've heard of that book. I, I am. Unfortunately, I have. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've read it. The first American I've come across that has, actually. My goodness. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But as you know, so Run Baby Run is basically uh, the real life story of a gang leader in New York. And yeah. It's basically a catalog of violence. <laughs> the more you get into it, so, so it definitely left an impression. Very nice. Okay. So I'm sure you've taken in all the cultural movies and such out there. Uh, some of them, not all of them, actually. Have you seen Taxi yet? Oh, uh, no, I haven't, actually. Oh, my. Yes. Uh, that's a film you should definitely watch. A Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. 1976 classic with. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm sure you probably have um, come across some photographs on the internet. I'm sure it's yeah, Robert De Niro's yeah. greatest work. Yeah. Definitely watch a taxi driver when you can. Okay. We'll do it. Yeah. I think you'll like it. So, my God, what got you involved with um, the Freemasons of all things? Yeah. So when I, as I was mentioning, when I was around 17, I was, I was really, uh, I really got very seriously into the esoteric and the practicing neo-paganism and the occult and various other things. And, um, you know, if, uh, in Great Britain, uh, at that time, pretty much a, when you're growing up, you hear of the Freemasons, and it's usually uh, presented as all oh, the Freemasons. They're a, a club for uh, corrupt politicians and businessmen, and they have a funny handshake, and it all sounded very boring. And then uh, a friend of mine, <laughs> when I was around 18, said, oh, no, they practice ritual magic. And I thought, you know, this can't be true. But um, 
It sounds pretty fascinating if if that's what they're being you know accused of. And uh, a little while later, by purely by coincidence, I was uh, looking through a used bookstore in Greenwich Market, um, which is also in southeast London, and um, I actually came across uh, a couple of the rituals there. And I I, I purchased the uh, Rose Choir ritual of Freemasonry, and later on, I don't quite remember how, but I got hold of the Rose, uh, the uh, Royal Arch degree of Freemasonry as well. And um, you know, I read them, and I, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but I could see that there was something uh, something intelligent there, and uh, I wasn't really coming across other things like that. And um, then when I, I moved to New York, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, I wasn't able to take take a lot of books with me or a lot of uh, things with me. But, uh, you know, it struck me that I basically brought books on the martial arts and on uh, Freemasonry. And, uh, you know, I saw the Grand Lodge building in New York uh, has a big uh, uh, Masonic uh, flag outside. It's pretty wild. I saw photographs of it recently on an article. Yeah, yeah online. Yeah. And I thought, holy shit, I want to go in there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fascinating building, and yeah. you can actually take tours of it as well. Oh, and, uh, nice. It's it's kind of a strange experience because all of the rooms are decorated in different ways. So one looks like you're inside an Egyptian tomb, and another one is like medieval European, and uh, and then you come outside into the streets of New York, and you're like, did I just did I just go through that? That was really weird. So it's it's kind of a kind of an experience. But uh, but but when I arrived, so I decided to uh, go in and ask if I could become a member, and it took about a year, but uh, but uh, eventually it happened. So. Interesting. That is rather interesting. It's a very nice building, by the way. And of course, yeah. How long have you been a Freemason? Um, yeah, since two thousand and one. So that's so around around nineteen years at this point. My God. So yeah. you are definitely deeply in there. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. And I keep meeting people now that haven't been a, a Freemason as long, and it feels a little weird because it wasn't like that before. So, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Understood, understood. Yeah. You know, what's weird is um, I'm just trying to figure out how to really structure or say this the, the proper way and structure this the, the correct way. But, you know, I was supposed to be joined by another guest earlier here tonight. But oh, yeah. they they didn't want any involvement with any Freemasons on the on the program for some reason. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean really they they thought Leo. Well, they saw Leo was going to be on, and they saw that you were going to be on, and they were like, "No, I'm not going to I'm not going to do the show. Okay. I'll, I'll come on when no one else is on that's affiliated with any sort of a Freemasonry." And my question for you was, why why was why was that guest like that? Yeah, well, I can't say why he was like that, but um, you know, there there is uh, different uh, conspiracy theories out there, and there are, some of them are a few hundred years old. But uh, typically, um, uh, the people that don't like Freemasonry or uh, uh, find Freemasonry sinister uh, tend to be either uh, fundamentalist uh, uh, religious uh, people, uh, either usually either you know Baptists, Catholics, or, or Muslims. Or, uh, or tend to be um, more of the sort of uh, agnostic or atheist sort of new world order uh, crowd that, 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 that associate Freemasonry with the Illuminati and the Illuminati with this one world government, right, um, right. which isn't the case with Freemasonry. And it's pretty easy to check out with reputable sources. And as I say, you can go to the building and this kind of thing. So, but uh, but those tend to be um, uh, the the people that are most um, uh, uh, questioning and a little bit paranoid about free Freemasonry, I would say. So, 
they're probably a little bit confused about it, in other words. Yeah, I, I would say so, yeah. And, you know, it's not entirely uh, the thought of, uh, you know, let's say conspiracy theorists. Um, it is also the thought of uh, some Freemasons as well who have made sort of ridiculous statements over the years. And, um, you know, even, even now I'm slightly surprised that, you know, there's still this uh, fascination in Freemasonry with, with, with the Knights Templar. And, uh, you know, the Knights Templar, of course. It's, it's certainly, a, a, you know, a, a, an interesting historical phenomenon, but there's often this kind of belief that in, with, even with, with many Freemasons that there's some kind of cons conspiracy that the Knights Templar brought something from the Middle East or some sacred knowledge and then somehow went into the builders and it's, it becomes very complex. And a lot of the Bible, sorry, a lot of the Bible belters out there, when they mm. talk about the Knights Templar, they bring up the fact that they used to rock the Baphomet on their shields. So that's kind of why some of them are a little reluctant, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's one of the things that they always complain about. Yeah. They worship Satan and all sorts of stuff. Baphomet, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But that wasn't yeah. the case. Yeah, I'm not I'm not an expert in the Knights Templar, but uh, yeah, I don't know how much of it is true or not. But, I, but certainly I'm it gets skeptical. more elaborated. Yeah. I'm a little skeptical about that after yeah. all the years I've read into it. I'm not an expert, obviously, but from what I read, I think that's sort of a little a little bit out there. Yeah, a lot of things associated with the Knights Templar t tend to be kind of out there, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna won't get any argument from me on that one. And of course, <laughs> I saw one of your videos, by the way, and I needed to bring this up to you. Oh yeah, what is sacred masculinity? Yeah, so well, I guess uh, different people would have different definitions, but uh, I'm really talking about um, masculinity, not as a kind of posturing and um, uh, the cl the cliches of uh, of modern society, but really of being in touch not only with ourselves as individuals, but in touch with our let's say our own bodies and uh, its uh, function. And uh, its difference to uh, to the female body as well, and uh, and obviously there is a, a long tradition of uh, what you what you might call sacred masculinity, mm. of uh, you know male initiatic societies, uh, knights or orders would be one such society. Uh, martial arts groups often were were originally male, and uh, the free, Freemasonry is uh, typically all male as well. Though there are these sort of breakaway uh, Masonic organizations that will initiate women as well, but it's largely uh, it's largely all male. By the way, in the chat room, they're asking how much does Freemasonry cost, or is it not free? Um, yeah, so it, it it depends really uh, on on the lodge itself. I believe in England it's actually quite quite a lot more expensive, but but in um, in America it's 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 probably the price of a, like a, a mid level gym membership. Uh, I think my dues are around two hundred and twenty dollars a year, which is more expensive than some lodges and cheaper than some others as well. But uh, I think I think uh, the average. Uh, annual membership is probably somewhere between at 90 and 250 dollars so when you work that out on a monthly basis it's not incredibly inaccessible to most people understood and right now i have a uh, a gif in the chat room playing non-stop for the chat room and oh wow it's donald mm -hmm. trump and he's next to jeffrey epstein <laughs> 
And, yeah. you know, he's, he looks like he's, he's told them a pretty good goddamn joke. And Jeffrey Epstein is breaking up laughing, cracking, cracking up there. I'm wondering what he's telling Jeffrey Epstein in this uh, gif here, but what are your thoughts and opinions on Prince Andrew and his sort of a uh, connection with Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, over the last few years, I've really um, uh, limited my uh, interest in in politics. I really dialed it back just because um, I found that uh, it just wasn't very helpful to me to be interested in it. I was getting sort of sidetracked. So, so I'm not an expert in anything political at all, and I'm, I might even be a little bit ignorant sometimes. But um, uh, I think it's a very strange association for a member of the monarchy. My and, goodness, uh, yes. it, all, it all looks incredibly unsavory and very, very dubious at best. My goodness. Well, I'm glad you answered that question as honestly as you can or could. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, Eyes Wide Shut in the chat room says, do you get a Masonic ring? Uh, no, you don't. Well, I mean, you can buy a Masonic ring, but you're not given one. And you're not ob obliged to wear one either, so... And obviously, you enjoy being a Freemason, correct? It's been a very positive experience for you. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the fraternity has changed enormously over the last three years. And uh, I would say if, if you had joined 10 years ago or more, um, you might have found it a little bit of a struggle because um, I after World War II and in the 20th century in general, the, the people that joined uh, often just wanted camaraderie. They were coming back from war and they wanted some kind of structure, some kind of camaraderie with the guys. And it, it could be a lot of sort of organizing barbecues and this kind of thing. But but over the last three years, um, the esoteric and spirituality and self-development uh, and interest in alchemy and Kabbalah and so on has really, really uh, come back into the um, into the into focus, and um, uh, I think that's partly because there have been these uh, so-called Masonic cons, which are usually one or two day conventions where there's lots of speakers talking about all kinds of uh, Masonic related activity. But that's uh, around the U.S. and that's really helped to bring uh, bring. Uh, spirituality and the esoteric back into focus and um, the, the, the guys that are joining now they tend to also be interested in spirituality and symbolism and mysteries and, and mythology and so on so it's actually been a, a really really positive change over the last few years understood and in terms yeah. and, and in terms of religion angel how do you identify yourself um, I don't really identify myself with a religion anymore. Um, as I mentioned, growing up, my, my parents were very secular, and uh, I've explored different religions. Um, when I was around uh, 20, 21, mm -hmm. um, I started visiting a uh, Benedictine uh, monastery every year and staying there for like a week or a few days or 10 days. Um, and for those who don't know, Benedictine monast uh, Benedictines are um, a type of Catholic uh, a monasticism, and uh, they're associated mostly uh, with uh, work, so that they would do things like gardening or teaching and this kind of thing. But obviously, it's still it's a real monastery, so they're getting up in the very early morning to uh, um, pray and do their rituals and so on. So I, ex I explored that for a few years, and I, I found that to be a, a pretty amazing experience. Nice. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it, was, it was very different. And, um, you know, it's easy to be uh, critical of, uh, of Christianity and uh, with all the th- things that we hear. And, and the, there's a very much a sort of anti-Christian feeling in the West, I think, often, sometimes with good reasons and sometimes for bad reasons. But, but I think when you experience something like that, you have a, a totally different take on the religion. And, um, you know, they were not uh, fanatical or fundamentalist at all. They were just sort of interested in in uh, outsiders and interested in in me. And you know, I was able to go along to all the rituals. It was uh, quite a beautiful experience. But, but interesting, um, I would say, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then a few years ago, I started to become uh, pretty interested in in Hinduism, largely because. Um, <clears throat> Uh, well, one of the reasons was uh, I'd been doing chakra meditation since I was really young, and um, and that's a part of uh, Hindu tantra. And I was reading the Bhagavad Gita a lot. So a few years ago, I was sort of identifying as a, a Hindu. Yeah, that's what's so interesting. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's a, that's a very interesting about you, Angel, is the fact that you're very open-minded with this. And most of the time, most Christians, most Christians, most of Freemasons are are heavily Christians, really. Uh, yeah, that's uh, traditionally been the case. Um, I mean, it's partly to do with the fact that the the West has been largely Christian as well. But but yeah, in in, in America, I do remember hearing a, a lecture uh, by one author whose name escapes me um, years ago, and uh, and he was pointing out that uh, most of the early churches um, were funded by uh, by members of Masonic lodges. They were they were active in both. Um, so there's definitely this a long tradition of uh, Freemasonry and Christianity, although there's a lot of um, uh, criticism and uh, from Christian churches. Um, strangely enough, there's actually a big tradition of Freemasons being being Christians as well. So, so yeah, the, it's definitely um, been the case that not, sometimes other religions have not always been welcome. But um, but again, I think that's something that's changing as well. And in in my lodge, uh, we started putting I think the Torah and um, the Quran on on the altar along with the Bible as well. And if if somebody somebody were a Hindu, then they could take their obligation on the Bhagavad Gita. Or if it were another religion, that would certainly not be a problem in the lodge that I belong to. Yeah, I'm glad that there's no no um, sort of a conflict with what yeah. you believe in. I'm sure there's other Masonic lodges out there that might sort of have a little bit of conflict or even heat with you for being so open-minded. Yeah, quite possibly. I think, you know, if I went more into the Midwest in a, you know, smaller location, then that could be maybe an issue. But, you know, luckily I'm in, I'm in New York and, and my lodge is very much more focused on, uh, on, on the spiritual and the esoteric. So, um, so they're pretty open-minded to this as well. Nice. And yeah, I can ask you, Angel, what's your opinion on the fact that there seems to be a rise in Wicca paganism? And just the fact that witchcraft is on the rise and most religion right now, most younger people are sort of turning their back to it. What's your take on that? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and it's probably uh, both a good thing and a, and a bad thing at the I, same yeah, time. Probably both good and bad. Yeah, and I think the, the, the bad aspect of it is that, that – um, now that there are all these different religions and there's Christianity is on the decline, we don't really have any um, religious festivals that brings everyone together in the community. And uh, even things like um, Easter and um, 
Thanksgiving and um, even Christmas to a large degree can be just sort of social occasions or maybe just waiting for the sales the next day. And um, you don't really want a society to be focused on Black Friday sales and this kind of thing, <laughs> Boxing Day sales. Yes. So that that's pretty bad. But, um, you know, obviously there, there is a reaction partly against uh, religious uh, literalism and religious fundamentalism, but uh, maybe also against uh, secularism and, and this kind of culture of living for the weekend or living for the sales uh, or living for material things. There, there seems to be a reaction against that as well. And, um, you know, certainly uh, you, it's not really enough. Material things can't really sustain us. And we do need some kind of community and we do need some kind of uh, spiritual practice and some kind of um, some kind of philosophy that's sort of transcendent and takes us out of ourselves as well so my goodness now angel let's talk about your book the three stages of initiatic spirituality and one section of your book you mention a semen being a symbolism or <laughs> yes take us through yeah. that yeah, so that that's with the uh, Dragon Slayer section, I I, I think, right? And um, yes, partly uh, it's sort of curious because uh, semen has this symbolism both in the East and West. That's true. So yeah, so in um, in the East with uh, Hinduism, for example, and I believe also with Taoism to a large extent, uh, there's a kind of prohibit prohibition on men releasing semen, and the, and the idea is that. Um, uh, the semen is supposed to be uh, mentally or, or through the use of the mind and through meditation that the semen is uh, not released from the body but is absorbed into the body and drawn up to the brain where it sort of nourishes the body. Um, I don't think that that can be done literally, but I believe what's really being said is that it's the idea that it, the semen has a kind of energy. It's a kind of um, it's also a, a, not just a, a fluid, but it's also an energy, and you can extract the energy from it and, and disperse that through your body for longevity. I believe that's really what's being uh, being talked about there. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. and you find these sort of weird, um, uh, interesting uh, myths in, in the West as well, with uh, the gods ejaculating into the uh, into the skin of an ox and it's buried, and then it gives birth to to a god later on to Orion. So it's, uh, you find these strange uh, parallels. Yeah, you really do. And of course, you mentioned Alistair Crowley in your book. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to further expand on some of the things that you uh, mentioned about him. What's your take on Alistair Crowley? Yeah, well, he's a very controversial character, even within the world of the, the occult, actually. And, uh, you know, a lot of sort of neo-pagans don't like him and don't want to be associated with him because he has this reputation for being, you know, a Satanist or something like that. But uh, my take on Crowley is um, probably quite different. And I'm not a, a devotee of Crowley or a follower of Crowley. I wouldn't really want to follow Crowley. Understood. But, um, yeah, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I think you can still... Uh, admire at least aspects of somebody that you don't necessarily agree with and and what i find fascinating about crowley is that um he was so uh, so uh wide ranging in his uh in his interests he studied uh, or practiced boxing when he was at, u at university uh then he became a mountaineer and he was a pretty successful mountaineer with you know one or two 
um, disasters, but he was pretty successful as a mountaineer. And uh, then he wrote, obviously, books on the occult, but he also wrote uh, fiction and poetry. And uh, for a while, he was also pretty successful as a fine art painter in Germany. So he had this really wide-ranging um, uh, interests and, and was able to focus on them and, and to be pretty successful uh, in, in these different fields. Although, you know, his life um, uh, also had plenty of hardships. But, uh, but I think it's also pretty interesting because he's one of those people um, who also traveled around the, the globe. And I don't think there are that many countries that he didn't visit um, everywhere from, you know, the middle of Canada to the Himalayas. So, you know, that, even that as well is pretty fascinating. But uh, you know his his uh, magic, um, which you can you know you can read his books. Uh, a lot of it was taken from the Victorian uh, occult order of the the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, uh, and developed from that. But later on, he became um, enamored of uh, different uh, sexual techniques of, uh, of of magic. Yeah, the sex uh, magic, right? Yeah, basically sex magic. Have you uh, ever partaked in anything like that, by the way? Anytime I, I talk to someone that's yeah. uh, very familiar with the occult, I bring up sex magic and, and they're kind of known for that, let's say. And all of a sudden I bring up sex magic and then they get very shy and quiet about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, I guess it's still a little bit taboo for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe it conjures up sort of images of eyes wide shut or something. Probably. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, uh, I would say that. I mean, there probably are groups out there that are having orgies or whatever, which might be a bit unsavory. But, uh, you know, most yeah, of the time... That might not be safe. Yeah, not safe at all. I wouldn't recommend anyone do anything like that. But, uh, and, and there is a, there is a tradition, even within uh, Hindu Tantra, where there is kind of... Um, oh, group sex might not be the right word, but there is this sort of like multiple coupling in one particular ritual. So, it, I mean, it, 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 so it has some historical basis but uh you know most of the time you know sex magic is going to be practiced with your girlfriend or your wife or something like that so yeah i've done a, a little bit of that in the past but uh it's not really my main focus but uh, understood yeah okay well i'm glad you at least you admitted something like that to me here sure yeah, absolutely. First and, time. And the, oh my God. The other th sorry, and and then the other thing might be that even with um, regular sex, you so a sex sex magic technique would be to uh, control your mind at the moment of orgasm instead of it just allowing itself to go haywire. You might want to focus on something specific, uh, at least uh, so that your mind isn't polluted by whatever thoughts, maybe like stress or something. Yeah, there's a lot to it. You could read uh, more about it, ladies and gentlemen, if you want. All that information is out there. And of course, that brings me to another very special individual by the name of Jack Parsons. I'm sure you're quite familiar with uh, this individual. And he used to, well, let me backtrack. The first guest I had on yeah. was uh, Leo Zagami. And he's out right. there in Palm Springs, California. And oh, of nice. course, Jack Parsons, uh, he stayed out there as well. Yeah, that's right. And I spoke in Pasadena last year, and I'm going to speak there again this year. And I believe he lived in Pasadena he as sure well. Did. So, yeah. yeah, I'm very, yeah. very interested in Jack Parsons. His whole life of uh, Warner Von Braun, by the way, yeah. he had claimed that it was actually the self-taught Jack Parsons who was the true father of the American space program for his contribution oh, and the development of the solid rocket fuel. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting once you read into that. And of course, you have to think about this. Um, you know, Jack Parsons was very much into, 
Alistair Crowley. He was also a part of the uh, the lodge out there in California, yeah, the OTO. Right. Yeah. And it's like this guy was self-taught. And it's like, how the hell did he even come to this sort of um, information? Yeah. And then you realize he was a part of the occult. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, going back further in time, um, I guess he would have been in the 1940s or 50s. Um, yeah, and if you go back to that time, and certainly before that, the the people that are that are involved in the occult, uh, and the obviously the occult world is very small at that time, but the people that are involved in it are, are usually pretty fascinating and and uh, pretty successful in different areas. Most of the uh, golden original Golden Dawn members were, you know. Um, uh, involved with theater or an actress or wb Yeats was a you know irish uh, poet laureate uh, i think bram stoke was involved for a while they were really fascinating characters and, and i guess you, you had to be pretty open-minded and and um able to sort of pursue unusual ideas to be to be in those groups and maybe that helped you outside in the world as well my goodness yeah i'm sure that all helped plenty but yes yeah. jack parsons my god what a yeah. what a strange cat that was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even yeah. after even after all these years, it's still kind of a mystery how uh, how all these things sort of lined up for him. Even yeah, after all definitely. these years, yeah, it's it's a trip. And of course, we haven't even mentioned Elron Hubbard, who was another wild yeah. one, my friend. Any take on him? Um, yeah, I, I don't really know much about Elron Hubbard, but um, I mean, I know he he ran off with uh, Parsons' girlfriend, but uh, right, but, right, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, he seems like a strange character, and uh, obviously, he created an empire. Um, I don't know if it's an empire that I would really want to be involved with in any way, but uh, and they seem to be pretty litigious, but uh, he certainly managed to create something that was uh, very powerful. So. And in terms of extraterrestrial life, where do you stand with that? It seems like now that is sort of a mainstream topic today. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more so. And, you know, as I mentioned, I was interested in that when I was, uh, you know, around 11, 12. But uh, and it's something that I started thinking more about recently. And I have to say, I don't really have any uh, any uh, final conclusion about what it is. But um, I, I definitely don't think it can be just dismissed out of hand. There's definitely something to that. Yeah, I agree. There's something odd about it. I, I think this is such a big universe that we live in. We definitely can't be alone. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and who knows what kind of uh, form an extraterrestrial life might might actually take. So, and I guess that's the debate, right? Whether it's like a flesh and blood aliens or whether there's some kind of um, uh, etheric force or some kind of other type of um, of energy that they're that they've created out of or some on some other plane or something like that. But I couldn't actually tell you. <laughs> I haven't come to that conclusion. <laughs> All good, all good. And of course, I'm sure you've been seeing all over the news about the coronavirus that's been sweeping the nation, spreading around all yeah. over the place. What's your take yeah. on this? I was just talking to the first guest about this, and we were discussing that the this thing was maybe possibly created in a lab. Yeah, maybe. I, I really couldn't say, to be honest with you. I mean, lots of very strange uh, things and maybe unethical behavior is going on in, in, in that kind of world today. I don't really know. But, um, you know, I would I would just say that I wouldn't panic about it. Yeah. I mean, as you probably know, every couple of years, there's some kind there's of virus something. that's going to wipe something out. <laughs> yeah, wipe out oh, yeah. mankind, whether it's, you know, SARS or chicken flu. But uh, I mean, it, it could happen, obviously. But uh 
right now, I wouldn't panic. Yeah. yeah well, just remember how people were before 2012. People thought we were going to get hit with something. Yeah, that's right. A lot of yeah. people and made money. It's, it, it seems like it's part of the human psyche to always think that we're on the edge of the abyss. And maybe we are, but, but uh, we definitely do like to predict the end of the world a lot. Yeah, we love for whatever that. Reason. It's just it's interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. People find it fascinating. Yeah. And of course, this leads me back to uh, Jesus really quickly here. You know, you were talking about Hinduism, and anytime I talk to a guest about uh, Jesus, and I mention the alleged stories of his trips to India, right, right. They, get, they get very angry and they say, no, that never happened. Um, Angel, what's your take on, on that? Did he actually go there? Um, I, I don't think so. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm not a, a biblical scholar, but uh, I don't, I don't think so. And I don't think that, uh, most biblical scholars think he did. I mean, I guess it's possible, but, um, yeah, my take is pro- probably not. But then I'm not hugely interested in, in uh, Christianity either. And I, I think, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people grow up in Christian households where, where they kind of want to convert Jesus into their own, um, into a kind of avatar of their own spiritual beliefs, right? And so, and so, it becomes really important for them that 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 he that he did go to India or that the Knights Templar does have the, the Holy Grail. And to me, it's it's actually not that important. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it matters. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't really think it matters to be honest with you. Yeah, and of course, you do have a very interesting um, chapter here, by the way. Uh, or I should say the section, man as yeah. consciousness of God. Right. Yeah, I found that quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so that's in in the magician section. Yeah, right? you, br- you, brought, you brought up Carl Jung. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the basic idea is that, uh, that man, um, that God has created man so that he can become conscious of himself through man's consciousness. He needs this. Um, he needs something else to become conscious of him so that he can have self-consciousness, so that there's a, a relationship between man and God, as it were. We both need each other, according to Jung, and also to some sort of mystics as well. Yeah, when were you introduced to uh, Carl? Um, I've known about him for a long time, and, and and actually, as a kid, I tried to read his book on UFOs, but I don't think it made a lot of sense to me. But um, <laughs> it, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it I didn't mean, make much sense. Maybe it would now, but um, but uh, yeah, I started uh, reading him a little more seriously when I was around seventeen, eighteen. I read his book on uh, on alchemy, and uh, and then I, I didn't really pursue um, uh, Jung for a, a long time, but I kind of revisited it over the last few years, uh, especially uh, actually some of his um, of his direct disciples because they're actually a little more lucid than than Carl Jung, and uh, kind of explain his ideas in a, in a way that's a little clearer, like uh, Edwin Erwin. So uh, you know they're pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, as, soon, as soon as I saw the back of your book and you mentioned archetypes, and I thought, oh, okay, I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's what 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 I recognized right away, and I thought, okay, this is going to be a pretty fascinating read. Then, and I was right. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Is, yeah, this is a very good book for those that want to read something really uh, interesting. And the way you wrote this, I thought it was really good. It's straight to the point. Yeah, I think that's my style. I don't really like to uh, beat around the bush too much. I actually like to say things that are controversial and um, and not worry about it too much. I think that's more interesting. Definitely. And of course, you are very much into the golden age, it seems. 
Uh, right. So you're referring to these, this idea of ages. So in Hinduism, mm -hmm. there are different ages or different yugas, as they are called. And uh, the first of these is the Sattva Yuga, which is sometimes referred to as the Golden Age. And then it declined through different ages. And now we're allegedly, um, according to most authorities, we're in the Iron Age, which is the worst of all ages. And it's the age of rampant materialism and so on. And, um, and what's kind of interesting is that uh, if you look at uh, the, the Hindu description, and then if you look at uh, the, the ancient Greek poet Hesiod and his description description of these ages, or uh, he he um, describes describes them as different races: a golden race, silver race, bronze race, and then an iron race, which is where you get the idea of the Iron Age and the Golden Age. And uh, also in Norse mythology as well, um, in the in the poetic Edda. Uh, it describes the, again these different ages and the, there's the final wolf age and all of them describe um, uh, a time of conflict of corrupt individuals being uh, being put into positions of power and men being adored because they have money and then the family is all broken apart and you can't trust your uh, siblings or your friends and there's a time of uh, of uh, questionable behavior and and cunning and so on and the community is kind of completely fragmented and it's uh, it's pretty interesting that, that all of these different traditions from a you know quite a wide geographical area would uh, would would uh, really uh, see the same symptoms as being uh, 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 embodied at the end of uh, at the end of the cycle, as it were, and then later a new cycle would begin, a new a new golden age allegedly. But I think there's quite a bit to, uh, in those descriptions to say that we're in the Iron Age. Before, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and one thing I, I I claim in my book is that the, the, the rituals of an esoteric and initiatic societies. Uh, partly a way of getting people to remember uh, the golden age because it reorientates you towards um, towards harmony and towards the divine and away from materialism and towards uh, towards your own death but through through death towards uh, towards God and divinity as it were. You know what that reminds me. Speaking of death, uh, since it is the fifteenth still here in California, this is uh, when Socrates died, I believe. Oh, is that right? Or when he was sentenced to death by the uh, city of Athens, by the way, for corrupting right, right. the minds of the youth of the city. Yes. And for impiety. <laughs> I, I love yeah. that. My God, how, how things have changed. And especially when you look at society today. And that's what I wanted to ask you, uh, Angel, looking at society today, what exactly are your, are your thoughts? This is a very strange period in time where individuals... Uh, can even lose their livelihood over a baseless allegation even yes that's right absolutely and even uh you know even people tweeting will get somebody fired from their employment yeah it's a completely uh, bizarre time it really is um yeah i mean that phenomenon itself i, I don't really know what to say about it but uh it's strange it's, <laughs> it's it's very strange and it's also very d dangerous as well because um you know uh, w one thing that you need is creative people which will help you to overcome whatever obstacles you have in society but i don't know if you can hear my cat going crazy but, i hear uh, that yes i was gonna say are they breaking into your house yeah, it sounds like that. I've got two cats, and they're going nuts. What kind of but, cats uh, do you? What kind of cats are they, by the way? We we like cats here sometimes. Oh, very good. Yeah, we have a Russian blue and a, and a Bombay cat, but oh, they've decided shit. to be okay. very risky at the moment for some reason. So. Boys or girls? 
B- uh, boy and a girl. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, so you need, you know, you need creative people who can overcome these like challenges in society. But, uh, but the, the whole of um, the university and Twitter and social media seems to be uh, trying to corral people into a very limited way of thinking. And, um, you, you know, you have to explore subjects that are taboo and dangerous if you want uh, to have something uh, new. But everybody is being told that, no, you must think only within these very small parameters. And uh, I don't know if you know, everyone knows of IQ, of course. But um, right, right. Uh, along with IQ, there's a CQ, the creative quotient. And um, IQ has gone up over the last few decades, but CQ has actually gone down. And uh, CQ is actually a better predictor of whether someone will become not only an artist or an author, but whether they'll become a, an entrepreneur as well. And that's that's in decline over about the last four decades. And you can kind of see this, right? Because you know, if you if you look back at the 1980s, people were uh, you know poor kids in in the Bronx were uh, you know making uh, their own rap music and and, and and being creative with breakdance and uh, you know pretty much every 10 years before that had a, had some kind of uh, alternative uh, fashion you know goth punk yeah whatever it was especially in there's a stop especially where you're at in New York yeah that's right New York and London absolutely but you but still now, see that right now actually New York for sure yeah go ahead but, sorry but I think you know to now, rather than doing something creative, young people are just going on to Twitter and complaining a lot, <laughs> yes. and, that, and that seems to be the rebellion, and that's kind of dangerous. I think. I know, right back back in the early '90s, being an anarchist uh, meant something else. Nowadays, it just means you yeah. go on Twitter and bitch. Yeah, basically that's right, and uh, probably in New York, but certainly in London, there was a whole sort of squatting scene with anarchists and this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was definitely very different. Do you ever miss living in the UK? By the way, um, not really, to be honest with you. I know. I like right? I like visiting. I, you know, I have listeners out there in the UK, and I love them to death for sure. But they always tell me how awful it is out there. You know, it's it's pretty tough because things are very expensive. I mean, things are expensive in New York, but you know, I, I find that the the basic things that you need in in London are very expensive. Even traveling on the tube train there is it costs a fortune. <laughs> Every time I go back, even for a week. Wow. And um, yeah, so it, it's you're kind of limited in that sense. And um, I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been there for a couple of decades. But but when I was growing up, it was still very much the remnants of a of of a class culture so you're you know told that well you you shouldn't do that or you can't do that and um you know i find uh, americans are much more about well you, you can do that or you should do that if it's important to you and uh and that that's actually a, a much more helpful environment to be in really now angel we are winding down in time here and of course to remind those that are just joining in you are the author of the book the three stages of initiatic spirituality craftsman warrior and magician uh, Angel, I wanted you to um, tell me what would be the most vital piece of information that you put in this book. 
Um, well, I would say, you know, I look at a lot of different uh, esoteric and initiatic traditions, everything from Alkabi, Kabbalah, uh, Islamic Neoplatonism, which is hardly known about at all, to uh, the martial arts and various um, uh, esoteric and uh, spiritual techniques associated with the martial arts, all the way through to modern uh, ta- uh, tantra and sex magic and chaos magic and the positive thinking movement and looking at how to transform the mind and our life. But I would say that uh, altogether, you know, the, the point really isn't just to collect um, interesting information on different esoteric and initiatic traditions. It's also the idea of balancing these archetypes within ourselves, both mm. in, a, in, in an initiatic sense, but also in a practical daily sense. Um, so, you know, balancing the craftsman, warrior, and magician. And, uh, you know, one thing you can do is take up some kind of practice uh, for the craftsman. Maybe that's art or painting or sculpture, but it could also be uh, making uh designing custom motorbikes on the weekend or something like that or if if nothing else i would say learn learn to cook and do that because that's an art as well and it's one that'll help you to keep you healthy with the the warrior i always suggest people take up a a martial art learn self-defense if you can't do that you know maybe take up a, a soft martial arts or at least go to a gym and work out and get a little stronger and with the magician, practice some kind of uh, spiritual tradition, meditation every day, uh, this kind of thing. And uh, just uh, just to uh, give my routine, my ritual of the day is to uh, work out, do some free weights, and then I would meditate. Uh, usually do some kind of chakra meditation or inner alchemy meditation um, for about 15 minutes, and then I would read a passage from a from a book, maybe uh, from a classical text like uh, the Bhagavad Gita or Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, and uh, and just just uh, think about that uh, that paragraph or that sentence, and not read more, but just meditate on that for 10 minutes. And um, that's actually a practice from uh, from uh, from Christian monasticism. It's called lectio. Divina, and um, when you do that, you realize that uh, you have a, a totally different relationship to reading, and you can get many more ideas out of just looking at one one paragraph than skimming. So, very I think nice. That's, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. I could talk to you for another hour easily. You're sure. extremely fascinating, my friend. But Angel, it's been a great time. I, I hope you had fun here tonight. Oh, definitely. And if you ever want me back on, I'd be happy to. Absolutely. It's been uh, great talking with you. Very awesome. For sure, my friend. Clockwise, I will have to bring you back on here again and we'll talk more about these things. Thank you so much, Angel. Absolutely. Sounds good. I hope you. you. uh, Yes, my friend. Hope you have a good one out there in New York. Absolutely. Have fun. All right. Mahalo. Bye bye. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Angel Millar. Definitely go check him out. Go to Amazon and check out his work. And before we pull it down here, I have to address an issue that came about when Jim Fetzer was the guest here. My God, Jim Fetzer messaged me a few days ago, boys and girls, telling me that one of his regular listeners sent him a message about, oh no, yours truly. Oh my, I have that message here. Let me read it to you. This is from James Fetzer, by the way. It goes like this. PM. Stumbled across you at Deacon's show Sunday. Very late evening rebroadcast, I assume. I never know his schedule. Last I heard you there was like last September. He talked shit about you later with another guest. Said something like, it's not like I agree with the crazy stuff he says. 
or something to that regard. I've heard him enough. Uh, I've heard him enough to where he often comes across, or actually, where he often comes off like a prick. My God, I already have addressed Jim, but I'll address this gentleman here. If you were offended with anything I said, you're a bitch. And you trying to cause any sort of trouble is very, very reminiscent of what the cancel culture does. This isn't exactly the kind of behavior that I doubt your political ideology would stand for. It's very hypocritical coming from one of Jim's regular listeners. You most likely misunderstood what I said. And I'm sure you don't get this show. Which is okay, because this show isn't aimed for your age demographic, I'm quite positive. And of course, I told uh, Jim about all of this before, and if you are offended, you probably are a pussy. And you are a snowflake. Very, very hypocritical. Now, you would be a fool not to be skeptical of everything you hear. Learn discernment. Learn to have a sense of humor. Learn to have balls. Or better yet, don't stay... Actually, better yet, stay where you're at. Stay content where you're at. I should, I should leave it that way. As far as you referring to me as a prick, I prefer the term asshole, and I'm proud to be one. You're fine to think of me in any way you want. It's totally fine. Again, if you are offended, then I have done my job. Grow a pair of balls. Stop being a beta male. That's exactly what you are. Now back to those who aren't completely beta. Thank you to those uh, out there in the chat room, too. The international listeners, I appreciate all of you very much for being a part of the program. And of course, if you are a fan of the show and want to help donate, there is a PayPal button over at michaeldeacon.com. Or if you want extra extra bonus content, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash michaeldeacon. Yes, that bonus content, it keeps rolling in and it's quite good, I promise. You can find the uh, podcast rendition of this program on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, and Stitcher, I believe. You can find this program on any major platform now. And yes, it's been an interesting night. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, boys and girls. And yes, I'm looking at you, Asuka. I agree. Probably drives a $100,000 BMW. I, I, he probably does. He probably does. My goodness. It's been a fun show. I do want to thank all of you yet again in the uh, chat room and those who will listen to a replay of this on whatever network you will catch a replay on. For instance, those on the Fringe FM and those out there in the New York region, the Hudson Valley, listening to this tomorrow. Hello from the future. And of course, oh my God, those in California, love all of you very much. We'll do this again very soon, boys and girls. Stay safe no matter where you are on this island earth. I'm Michael Deacon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.